Okay, today we are starting our season five. This will be Bad Company, and we're doing a little thing differently this round. So I'll be doing the edits during the audio section of it. So it's it's just easier to do the editing portion along with the audiobook portion. So it saves me, you know, a few hours a day. And I thought it would be kind of fun to put out some of my thoughts during the reading to see to see if anybody else agreed with me. So this will be bad company, and we will be doing editing during the podcast um, in order to expedite the operation here. So, chapter one. You're alive. Well, sort of. You're face down on a metal grating. It tastes like dirt and bad choices. Your head is at an odd angle and your eyes only open slightly and then just one at a time. It takes you a moment to realize that you're upside down, caught between the girders of what used to be your engineering room, but was now filled with orange-yellow smoke and strange shadows that refuse to resolve in your mind. You try to swallow, but your throat is too thick. Drool pools where your tongue should be. It seems like it should fall out of your mouth, but the heat is so intense you can feel it drying on your lips. Your skin. You try to move your head, but whatever pressure wave slammed you into this position has bent the metal around you, burning you so deep you can't even feel the pain anymore. You feel something drop and splatter on your head, though. For a moment, you think it's water until you see the sh silver shimmering droplets running down the backs of your hands along your trapped arms. It's metal. The heat is so intense, it's starting to melt the ship around you. You spit, hoping to clear your mouth so you can breathe. The phlegm lands close and sizzles on the twisted remains of your ship. It's not drool, it's bloody. Your tongue is so swollen you're pretty sure you're missing teeth, but you can't feel anything anyway and it occurs to you that it's a blessing. The lack of pain, not the missing teeth part. Quite a predicament you're in, Burke. The words come from somewhere behind you and are accompanied with a constant faint buzzing you're only now aware of. You're pretty sure you have a ruptured eardrum or something broken making the disembodied voice sound like that. It's too resonant, and it seems to come from everywhere at once. Definitely busted eardrums, you think. You can't open one of your eyes at all now. The right one is cemented shut, swollen maybe, or maybe it just fell out. Both seem likely at this point. There's a creak of metal as the voice moves around you. A face appears upside down in front of you. You can barely keep your one eye open, and the blood pooling in your head is making it hard to stay conscious. Ooh, you look like shit. Explosion really did a number on you, huh? Good thing your Hoshi is here for you. Eat shit and die, you manage to grind out. Oh, don't be like that. Hoshi flips around the metal girder so he can look you in the face. His handsome features are still smooth. He's not even sweating in the molten metal heat. It's not my fault that you have all this lovely tracking software and this charming AI and not enough brains to keep it to yourself. What was I supposed to do, just lie there and not take advantage of you? Yes, you say, trying to ignore his scent, the way it triggers something in you and makes you remember him naked, charming, and lovely from last night. Die. He clucks his tongue at you and brushes fingers over your abused flesh. Oh, Burke, you already said that one. Now I am sorry, Poppet, I really am. He looks around at the shifting heat and shadows in the burned-out engine room. And sorry about your ship. If you had just handed it over like I'd ask, I wouldn't have had to put a hole in you like this. You try to spit bloody phlegm at him, but your mouth is dry and your tongue is too swollen anyway. 
You give up, closing your eyes and relaxing into the nice, floaty feeling of death you can feel trying to wrap you up. It'd be a relief. You didn't have any friends or family anyway. Well, none who would miss you. That was the whole reason you'd even bothered to go home with Hoshi last night in the first place. He was charming, and you didn't have anything better to do, and, well, here we are. Burke, my love, you can feel his fingers on your face again, surprisingly cool for a man sitting in a boiling metal box of failing propulsion equipment, toxic gases, and dying environmental controls. You hate that it helps. Burke, you do look like shit. You can't respond, but he doesn't seem to expect you to. He sighs. You know, I could get you out of this, help you out. I'm really all about helping people, you understand. I'm a people person. Those words make a small hiss of breath come out of your mouth through the red haze that has descended over your brain. He seems to take it in the spirit that you offer. Seriously, I can be a good guy, you know, when it's profitable. You're fading fast and rapidly not giving a fuck about the words coming out of his mouth. There's a pause. You can feel his coolness and his sweet scent disappear from in front of you for a moment, then hear the sounds of metal ripping apart. Two more explosions slam around you in pulsating waves of heat and pressure, but you're blind and safe and cushioned on something soft and nothing touches you. You feel like you're falling and what's left of your mind leverages open your left eye to see you're cradled in Hoshi's arms like a goddamn princess, flung out into the darkness of space. The crinkled, shattered remnants of your ship rapidly disappearing into what can only be a black hole. Hoshi sees you're awake and looks down at you with genuine fondness, or at least what you think might be affection, and smiles at you. You can see his teeth are filed to sharp points. How did you not notice that before, you think? It makes you shudder a little. After another moment, you realize you can see again, that the bleeding has stopped. You can move your limbs. You sit up a little in the bubble craft Hoshi used to infiltrate your ship and realize you're actually sitting in his lap and your flesh seems to be healing itself. You look back up at him in surprise. He taps a little biohazard bag on the console near the pilot controls and cuddles you. Skin sheddings, my dear. Skin sheddings. I always take a couple from my friends, just in case. You know, it's always handy to have a genetic code available when you need it. What the fuck did you do to me, you ask, watching what you can now see is a flesh-colored slime mold moving over your limbs. Wherever it passes, new flesh regenerates. A thought occurs to you, and you quickly reach into your mouth, finding huge clumps of dead white material that you scoop out and fling across the tiny craft. You hate to think what information you're losing with all these dead cells. Easy, pet. No need to be all dirty. A little regeneration fungus never hurt anyone. It's all natural and organic. Why, you ask, trying to move his lap off his lap only to have his big arms come around you and anchor you more securely to him. Why are you helping me? A deal, pet. He rubs his face against yours and you can't help but breathe him in. You get to live and I get you. For a while, at least. You push him away, or try at least, but he doesn't budge and you're not strong enough to make it count. I am not that good in the sack. What's the real reason? Well, I mean, the sex is nice, sure, but I'm... Mm, how to put this? I'm out of fuel, and I could use your particular skill set in rectifying that condition. And now that I have your excellent tracking technology and AI integration, I need to go on a little errand.
What kind of an errand, you ask, immediately suspicious and desperately disinterested in doing anything more with this psychopath? I won't help you do anything immoral or illegal. Oh, come on. Immoral and illegal? There's a lot of gray in the world, Burke. Surely you want to hear my side of the story first? No. You cross your arms and pretend that you're not comfortable. Whatever it is, it's probably evil. I don't want to cross the street with you, much less assist in whatever debauchery you're trying to do. He pouts, and it significantly annoys you that he's very attractive while he pouts. But, my love, you owe me. I don't care. Oh, come on, what else are you going to do? Head back to that asteroid and pretend to care about mining contracts? What if I had a really exciting, really challenging problem for you to fix? Something that would just light up all your mechanical bits and make your day. Something really special. How special? What's the prot you start to say, hating that he's caught your interest? Besides, he's right. It's not like you're busy. You just hate depending on someone, especially now. Especially someone like this creature. Good. It's settled. Hoshi snuggles you against him and you're too weak to resist. You can have your little project, mission, whatever, and I get someone to help me play out my little adventure. Hoshi scrapes his fingernails against your newly revealed collarbone, all shiny and sensitive, making you shiver. Besides, it could even be fun. You never know. The comment makes you profoundly uncomfortable. You again try to pull away, but your hand slips against his chest from the slippery regeneration fungus. He hands you an obviously used handkerchief. You're right, of course, pet. You should clean yourself up first before we have any fun. He gives you a judgmental look. You still look like shit. You try to glare at him, but your eyes are still sore, probably red-rimmed and bloodshot, and it hurts too much to try and make a point. You accept the handkerchief, make a small effort, and then give up any pretense and just nap in his lap. It's not like you can do anything any anyway, and he is surprisingly comfortable. Okay, so that's episode one. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, no, maybe, no major complaints with that one. Episode 2. You wake up in a cargo hold. Kind of. More like a stomach. The bioship around you moves and bends in organic ways that make you nervous. It's why you specifically built a pure, a pure Lee, or an inorganic ship to fly in. All those living juices and noises bother you, especially the ones coming from this room. It sort of gurgles. The gurgling woke you up. You're dressed in loose white spacer clothing, comfortable wide-legged trousers tied with a string, soft kimono-style top that doesn't impede your implants or rub against your healing organic matrix. You swing your legs down to dangle off the med bay you're on and quickly run your hands along your arms and face and open the front of the kimono to look at your chest. Everything is pristine. No burns. There are faint white scars running down your arms where the molten metal tr cut tracks in you, but that's it. You can feel again. Tiny pinpricks of what could be healing scabs in your new skin prickle in the cool air flowing, flooding from somewhere above you. Your tongue is back to the right size. You can feel the nubs of new growing teeth in the empty sockets and the pressure against your mouth seems satisfyingly itchy. Your fingernails are black and look like they're about to fall off, but you seem mostly to be together. Shame about all that information, you think, mourning for your old cells. 
Until you can get your operating system back online fully, you won't know what data was lost, and the thought of any data integrity loss makes you mournful. You slip down to put your bare feet on the floor, and the gurgling starts again. This time, the muscles of the beasts that make up the room also start to undulate as if you've triggered some sort of digestion mechanism. But no, it's a lighting mechanism. The moonglow white ambient lighting changes to an intense sun gold. Light provided, as you can now see, from large cell-looking structures that seem to move on their own, trapped behind a transparent screen of opaque liquid. It grosses you out, seeing living things trapped in fluid like that, and you quickly hurry toward what looks like an exit. There are no proper doors here, just a circular contracted muscle of an exit blocking your way until you're a meter or so in front of it, and then you can see a flash of white light along the milky white cartilage, milky white cartilage-like floor spasm toward the exit and open. It's just slightly too small for you, and you feel a moment of pity for anyone tall who has to live in this ship. It leads to a T-junction. To your left, the cartilage swoops upwards in a gentle ramp towards more sun gold light, culminating in a metal scaffolding that has things growing along it. You can see them moving from here. Vines, maybe, or snakes, or something worse. You can't trust anything in a biological ship. Fucking unreliable monstrosities, you think, with a moment of pining for your own clean, dead, mechanical ship that Hoshi blew up. Rather, imploded for you. Bastard. To your right, moon-soft white light seems to spiral deeper into the depths of the creature ship. There are thick cords of muscle along this side of the corridor, bordering the metal scaffold that the cartilage has grown on. You can see contractions happening just beyond the first curve of the corridor, and some deep vibration seems to pulse from that direction. You turn left, towards what you think is the control room of this monster. And you're right. It's a short walk, just a few meters before you can see bands of white matter and bone replacing the metal scaffolding. What you thought were vines or snakes were actually neurons. Dendrites, pale and ghostly, reaching for each other and sparking back and forth, building and rebuilding connections as the control center sends commands. You can see electrical arcs leap from the dendrites and several skitter down the metal bone skeletons surrounding the cartilage walkway, down towards the gravelly pulsing you heard before. It's disconcerting to see another creature's spine, and you quickly look down and try not to think about it too hard. There is a bony protrusion with feather-thin rib-like structures separating the control room from this corridor, making you push past them to get into the control room. The ship makes something like a sigh at the touch, and you wipe your hands on your clothes, even though there isn't anything to wipe. Hoshi is at the control center. His hands are buried in the biogel that's needed for organic computing interfaces. Several dendrites are connected directly to the interfaces under his hands, and several more seem to be buried in his skull. It makes your stomach churn, but you force yourself to walk forward. Hoshi is absorbed, utterly oblivious to the world. His perfect features are calm, relaxed even, as if he enjoyed piloting this abomination. Bits of black hair seem to have escaped from the knot he'd shoved it into and, it tri and trickled down his face. From this close, you can see the thin lines where his implants and cosmetic surgery scars hide underneath his jaw and just at the base of his ears. Whoever did the work was good. With Hoshi not paying attention, you take the liberty to trace those scars with your thumb, turning them closer into the lights so you can see the tiny quicksilver catches of the biomimetic implants. You don't know what they do. You didn't even know he had them. 
But if he's augmented, it would explain how easily he dealt with your ship problems. And you. Cheater, you think uncharitably. But you like the way the skin feels under yours, and you like the way he smells up close, like a cold pine forest, cool and astringent. It occurs to you that for once Hoshi seems vulnerable. You can do whatever you want. He's so still. You can see his pulse beating strong and regular and scrotted. You rest a hand there, your thumb towards the soft place between cartilage rings in his trachea. You know that just a small amount of pressure there, especially if you cut off the carotid on the other side of the, of the other, whoops, carotid on the other side as well would put him down. You can feel his pulse rate increase. He knows what you're doing. The thought occurs to you as you feel the muscles of his chest tighten infinitesimally. You tighten your hand just to see what he's going to do, but he doesn't respond. You can feel the solid, soothing beat of his heart against your palm. Oh, give me a break. You drop your hand. Even a worthless android could have some honor. Killing a man that saved your life? You can't do it. Things are bad enough. Besides, it's against my programming. You know it. Even now, you hold on to the hope that someday you could go home. If you're clever enough, smart enough, special enough. They might take you back. But a cold-blooded killer? An aberration? Neither computer nor human. You'll die alone in the dark and no one will remember your name. You let out a breath in disgust as Hoshi opens his eyes and smiles at you. Morning, pet, he says. Did you sleep well? No, you grump. I hate being in organic ships. You cross your arms and turn your back on Hoshi to stare out at the navigation display taking up the whole front end of the control room. You can see nothing familiar. No comforting constellations or landmarks that would mean you were still in Terran mandate space. Oh, I'm so sorry. Next time I save your life, I'll make sure to do it in a nice mechanical craft so you don't have to get your hands dirty. As he talks, he puts his hands on your waist to drag you down into his lap. They're covered in, in gel goop. Now you are covered in gel goop. You can feel your face contract in disgust. Don't touch me, you say, and push off him, looking for something to clean off your clothes with. There's nothing in the room but organic materials, a co-pilot chair, and firefighting station. You head over to that and pull on one of the modified Nomex suits to try and wipe some of the goop on it. Hoshi laughs at you and puts his hands back onto, into the interface. <clears throat> so sensitive, huh, Burke? Don't worry. I know you mechanical types have special needs. You turn to see him leaning into the ship's interface, moving something along the red-green slime that served as the information transfer. Dendrites flash golden around him, carrying messages to the spinal cord and rest of the ship. The sun glow changes to moon white as he stands up and stretches. And there was a lot of him to stretch. You'd forgotten how tall he was. Don't worry, pet. I put her on autopilot. We've got time. Time for what? You ask suspiciously, taking one step back as he moves towards you. He notices and it elicits a small chuckle out of him. He opens a compartment in the wall to take out a towel and ostentatiously cleans his hands non-threateningly. Don't worry, Burke. I told you. I need your technical expertise. Although, if you're bored. He gives you a long look that makes you remember things you'd rather not, and you can feel your face getting hotter and sternly tell yourself to stop and get a fucking grip. You take another step back. He crosses his arms but keeps looking at you. What technical expertise are you looking for, you say. You already took my AI and my tracking software. I don't have anything else. 
You see your ship getting crushed into spaghettified pieces again in your mind's eye, and whatever soft spot you have for Hoshi goes away. You fucking blew up my ship. Don't be so imprecise. I didn't blow it up. Besides, I had to get your attention somehow, didn't I? It's not like you would have helped me if you could just leave. Fuck you, you spit at him. He sighs. Yes, I would really like that, but as I keep trying to explain to you, my love, I need help integrating your mechanical systems. He waves a hand around his ship. Shori and I get along excellently, you understand, but she just doesn't like having an AI in her neurons and I can't get her to relax. I think it's just because she doesn't trust me to do the modifications. He leans close as if sharing a secret with you, and you can't decide if he's being serious or not. She let a very nice engineer from Jupiter Station put in her medical AI without a problem, but for some reason she just won't let me do the mods. So go to Jupiter Station, you say. You don't need me for that. You could have let me die respectably in my own ship instead of wherever here is. Hoshi gives you a melodramatic sigh. Burke, my heart, are you telling me you'd rather die than help me integrate your software platform? Don't you nerds all sit around waiting for the day you can prove how smart you are? Maybe, you say, a little charmed despite yourself and not particularly thrilled with the experience. This would go a lot better if you hadn't blown me up to get it, you realize. You're so sensitive. I get it. I get it. All you inventors are beautiful, unique snowflakes that need to be catered to. I totally understand and appreciate that about you, pet. You blew up my ship, you sociopath, and I'm not your pet. Hoshi scowls at you for interrupting his speech. But your ship was short-range, darling, not even capable of intergalactic travel, and you weren't doing anything with that delightful software. And again, if you had just handed it over when I asked, I wouldn't have had to blow up your little toy. My ship is not a toy. It's, <clears throat> it was my whole life. Hoshi obviously doesn't care and is getting bored trying to appease you. He rolls his eyes. Yes, yes, whatever, great. You're here now on a lovely deep space explorer ship with a lovely companion, and now if we can just get your lovely AI integrated, you and I can go off and have lovely adventures. Why are you trying to convince me of this? Hoshi drops the conciliatory act and is obviously frustrated with you. No more flirty looks and no more suave diplomat. Burke, I saved your life to do this thing. You do it, your debt is paid, and you can go back to doing dirty shit jobs for that pisshole you call a planet. I don't care. I'll drop you off myself. If you want to chain yourself to those people as some kind of intellectual slave, that's your business. He comes up to you, very close, to fist one hand in your kimono. I'm not worried about your pathetic life choices. I'm worried about mine. And I have a very important date to keep in the middle of the biggest fucking galaxy our piddly little scouts have managed to find, and your AI is the only running technology that can get me there. So, buck up, princess, and get the thing working, and we'll both be happy. Otherwise, I can throw you out of Shuri's asshole right now and let you float in the wind like the goddamn puritanical prick that you seem to want to be. You never notice that his eyes are actually a gray-purple, like midnight clouds covering moonlight. Very pretty. Very intense. Very much in your face right now. You close your hand over his to yank it off your shirt. Don't threaten me. He smiles to show you those filed teeth again. Don't tell me what to do. But he holds both his hands up peaceably. Do we understand each other now? You let out your breath, a little relieved that he's over there now, and a little pissed that he could intimidate you like that. 
Yes, you say, because his calm, focused stare compels you to say something which annoys you even more. I'll do the thing, since you asked so nicely, but keep your fucking hands off me. Hoshi ducks his head, finally breaking eye contact, and holds his hands up higher. You got a pet? Don't call me that. What? Pet. Why? I'm not your pet. Aren't you, though? He gives you a sweet smile that softens his whole face and makes him look much younger and much more innocent, which was surely his intention. Annoying. I mean, Burke, I feed you, I take care of you, I bring you toys, and all you have to do is a couple tricks. Sounds like a pet to me. He was right. It pisses you off. Fuck you. Anytime, pet. Anytime. I'm at your service. Episode 3. Hoshi took you on a tour. The ship was much smaller than you'd first assumed. There was only the engine room, or gut, cargo bay, or med bay, three tiny crew rooms that also doubled as gas exchange alveoli, and the control room. The rest of Shori looked vaguely manta ray-like, with a docking port mouth and one large viewing port on her head instead of two eyes. Hoshi seemed very proud of her. You were grudgingly impressed. You hadn't realized that genetic engineers had gotten quite so advanced while you'd been trapped stationside, worrying about other things. In the other crew room, Hoshi had stashed all the mechanical things he didn't know what to do with. When he opened the door, a disorganized mash of parts and bits towered over you like a canyon. Delicate parts and priceless antiques all jammed together in a mass of poor planning. Hoshi, you whisper, in a tight mass of disappointment and looming dread at having to sort through all this crap, what is this? He glances at you like you're slow. It's the integration systems I've picked up. Don't worry, most of them are compatible with your AI, I think. I had to pick up some supporting technologies from different stations, so there may be some redundancy here. Redundancy, you squeak? Compatibility? Are you out of your mind? There's... You pause to pick up a decades-old motherboard with silica chips and let it fall back down to the floor. Junk! There's junk in here! Don't exaggerate. He picks up something that looked like it died out of a Jules Verne novel and surveys it proudly before gently putting it on the top of the pile. Some of them even come with manuals. Manuals of what, you say in horror? What exactly were you planning to make out of this? He frowns at you. An ion engine and a galactic locating and tracking system with automatic location mapping. Of course. But then you built it, I mean, at least the AI part, so I didn't have to try and figure it out. You groan as he pats your shoulder and heads out the door. Good luck, Bert. Lunch isn't in a few hours. I'll come get you. You kick the useless motherboard over to the side of the room somewhere. How in holy hell are you supposed to build anything out of this crap? Several hours later, later, you emerge covered in grease, toxic metals from bygone eras, and a thin patina of dust to join Hoshi at the tiny kitchen in the control room. The fire station folds back into the wall, revealing a small sink and matter converter. Hoshi flexes a skin in covering in the floor to fold it into two chairs and a small table and hands you something white, almost liquid, and semi-lumpy. You take the mug with dis distaste and give him a pathetic look. I know, love, I know. He sighs deeply and puts his feet up on part of the sink. 
Kind of makes you nostalgic for the Astra stations, doesn't it? Even if the food was shite, at least you could get some decent alcohol there. He pauses and then pulls the mug slowly away from his face as if remembering something. But you don't drink, right, Burke? No, you mumble and stick your face in your, your nutritional supplement, hoping he'll forget. Come on, pet, what were you doing in that asteroid mine? Someone like you, a nerd of first caliber. Slumming with a bunch of miners. You have a secret, don't you? He leans his chin on his hand to consider you, and you very carefully don't make eye contact. You were on that station too, and I don't see a drill rig in Shory, you say, hoping to distract him. It doesn't work. Mm, I can't get long-range fuel systems to work, so I have to refill the old-fashioned way every few light years, he says dismissively. Hence, I need a non-biopropulsion method. But you already know that. Why were you there? You don't answer him. Come on, Burke, tell me your secrets. You stay silent. At least tell me your first name. No, you finally say, hoping he'll get the hint and drop it. It's none of your business. Love, I've had you naked and screaming under me, but you won't tell me your name? I didn't scream, you say, but it's quiet and you're trying really, really hard not to remember any of that. He pouts just a little before continuing. Besides, you picked me up, remember? There I was, just minding my own business, and you sit down all purposeful and ask for a fuck. He smiles again, and you close your eyes in humiliation at the memory. So stop with the bad attitude already. I'm just doing what you asked. This time you can't help leaning your forehead against your palm to put pressure on the suddenly powerful headache you have developing right between your eyes. Shut up. It was a moment of poor decision-making. Mm, so it was, for you anyway. He drums his fingers on the table. Burkey, Burkey, Burke. What is a galaxy-class robotics engineer doing slumming in bumfuck nowhere plotting geosynchronous orbits like a scrub? Did you sleep with someone you shouldn't have? He gives you a grin with too much teeth. I can totally sympathize with that one. You sigh. Just drop it, okay? He purses his lips and puts a finger to them, considering. No, not your style, huh, pet? You picked me because I was throwaway. Easy. Wouldn't mean anything and would be gone in a day. Mm. Has to be something with your work, right, pet? You wouldn't have a personal life. Someone like you would work to the bone and be disappointed if you have to sleep. Maybe something political? He takes a long look at you and it makes you avert your face. You think maybe he can see it on you like a stain and you're ashamed. No, he says, answering his own question. You wouldn't want to break the rules or go against someone powerful enough to fuck you like that. You're a team player. He gives you a tiny salute. Not one of my problems, to be sure, but I hear it can be terribly inconvenient. He goes back to staring at you with those eyes and those cheekbones, and you compulsively look at your nutritional supplement and pay great attention to swallowing. What could it be, Berkey? Too repressed for sex, too disciplined for politics, too lonely for gambling, and you don't drink. Drugs? He asks, watching you even closer. You try to keep your face still, but you can't help the little flinch of reaction, or the flush of shame creeping over you. He leans over to flick the bullseye symbol on your left hand, an injection port, for a very specific kind of substrate. You said I didn't notice, pet? Obviously, your designers made you for something specific. And to have a built-in drug port, huh? What was it, orbital? 
Machine maker? No, you wouldn't need something to make you feel good and relaxed, would you? It would be something for work. Something to amp up your brain, wouldn't it? Something to make you smarter, let you work harder and do more. You can't breathe. He's too close. For a moment, you can take the, taste the effervescent tingle on your tongue, the unbearable joy of the drug permeating your bloodstream, the rush of sounds, sensations, information tied to every synesthetic atom of your being. That tingle is lower now, remembered lust. Not just the physical kind that was so easy to throw away. The kind of lust on the drug was perfect. Mental, physical, emotional combinations of experience and sound and synergistic processes that the brain just wasn't capable of normally. The energy to finally think, to engage all your processors. For days, wallowing in all that information joy. You exhale slowly, trying to make sure your hands don't shake and you don't encourage him, but he sees. He lets out a whistle. It was snow crash, wasn't it? And you crashed hard. That's why you picked me up, wasn't it? You were coming off a high and you didn't have a project or anything to put it to. He leans closer, grabbing your chin to lever your face up to his. You're an addict, aren't you, Burke? You snatch your face away and stand up to clean the mug and place it back in the cubby. You don't answer, but you can feel your whole body shaking just at the memory. In a couple days, the shaking would be from withdrawal. You know this, you've tried to come clean before. It was terrifying, the seizures, the fever, the respiratory failure. And you were just going to what? Hope that you didn't die in a couple days? That was your plan? Hoshi's voice was calm, almost disinterested. That seems pretty stupid. Not really your style, Burke, just to hope for the best. I thought I'd be dead by now, you say, standing at the sink, staring down at it. It never occurred to me I'd live. Besides, you don't know me. But you're kind of afraid that he does. Oh, bloody hell, you're still bitching about me saving your life? You should have let me die. I never asked you to save me or to blow up my ship. Again with the ship now? How long are you going to blame me for that one? You give him a shocked look. Forever. You blew up my ship. He makes a little dismissive wave. Yes, yes, all very stressful, I'm sure. Whatever. You'll have to let it go sometime. I do not. I'll tell you what, pet. I need you to do those things you do with the parts and the grease and the magic to make my ship go. So I'll go ahead and keep you alive for a little while longer. Off the drug. After that, I'll shoot you full of the stuff myself and leave you to die on a mining colony if that's what you really want. I keep telling you, I'm a people person. He doesn't smile, even though his words sound light. I'm all about helping. You don't answer. You grip the sides of the sink and imagine that you can already feel your lungs filling with fluid as the drug works its all way all the way out. Your hands tighten on the synthetic skin, sending a little shudder through the ship's walls. You release your grip. I'll build you an ion drive and install the AI, you say, this time without any attitude, and head back into the parts room. You can feel Hoshi's eyes on you until you shut the membrane that serves as the door and go to one knee in the privacy of the parts room, breathing hard. Episode 4 You wake up in a rush. Something has disturbed you, besides the usual digestion noises that Shori has around this time of night. You don't know what she eats, but there seems to be a lot of it. There's a new noise this time, something almost like gasping. For a moment, you think it's just the plural friction of Shori's passive gas exchange system, but it's not. It's too irregular. You press your ear up to the smooth muscle membrane separating your room from Hoshi's. 
He's talking in his sleep, or maybe crying. You can't hear. Chi-chan, he shouts out suddenly. Chiyoko. There's sudden quiet. You can hear him get up, and the change in air pressure that means that he's opened one of the membranes to head out into the rest of the ship. You settle back to sleep. Your cesium atom clock wakes you up for regular daylight duty cycle, and you pull on the soft clothes Hoshi gave you. They're a little stained now, with grease and solder, and slightly singed from your experiments in the parts bay, but still perfectly serviceable. You actually like them better this way. They feel more like yours. You avoid the control room and Hoshi. You're not hungry, and never eat breakfast anyway, and make your way to the parts room. <clears throat> he still makes you uncomfortable, and you're looking forward to getting back to work. The room is under control now. You've managed to sort and organize a plan for some of the useful parts, but you're still not exactly sure what you're supposed to be doing. An ion drive isn't terribly complicated, but you don't know how to fit it to Shori's natural propulsion systems or how to run fuel lines in a living being. You can build the tracking software into Shori's neural matrix, but you don't know what you're supposed to be tracking or how you're supposed to link it to the physical world. It feels overwhelming and distressingly organic, so you ignore it again today and just focus on cataloging parts. It's soothing to sit in the quiet with the machines and lose yourself in the comforting familiarity of specification research. The door membrane opens and Hoshi steps through, searching for you in the towers of crap. You're tucked away in a corner and can watch him before he sees you. He's holding a cup of nutritional supplement and you unconsciously gag. Your stomach rumbles and you realize you should probably eat. Burke, he calls out finally, poking his head around bins of junk. Are you in here? Yes, you say, abandoning, abandoning your surveillance and coming out to greet him. He hands you the mug. How's it going? Shitty. Do you have any equipment that hasn't been blasted, melted, or that could possibly date from this century? He seems amused by your bad humor and just shrugs. Tough life, pet. I have to scavenge, which doesn't give us a lot of choice. Is there anything useful there? Yes, you mutter. Sort of. But I need stuff. Do you have any cash for this upgrade? Cash? He seems surprised by the question. Why on earth would we need cash? You know, to pay for stuff. He throws his head back to laugh in genuine delight. <laughs> no, my dear, I don't have any cash. He continues to chuckle as he heads back towards the door and presumably the control room. Cash, he whispers to himself, as if I was going to buy something. <laughs> what a riot. How are you going to get the other equipment then, you ask, following him? I mean, I'm good, but there's just no way. Make a list, pet, and we'll find a nice place to sit down. He flashes a very white smile at you. Shori needs a proper meal anyway. What does she eat, you ask, a little hesitantly. You don't want to know, he answers. You agree and keep your mouth shut. Organics are disgusting. There's a high-pitched whine as the docking port connects to Shori and the skeletal muscles around the bay shiver in reaction. A different color fluid than usual floods the area behind translucent cartilage that keeps Shori's insides from getting all over you. It's disgusting, and you quickly focus on the now open corridor leading into the new space station. Borgani Station smells like burning electricals and reminds you of a beehive, only a grease-covered, poor biped hive. You let Hoshi go first into the short corridor to set foot on the alien ground and try to make it seem casual. He has your number, though, and gives you a sweet smile as he shoves you out in front of him instead. There you go, Burke. Out and about. You need to make some friends anyway. 
The shove lands you in front of a giant man thing with a face pockmarked by weapon scars. You take a couple shuffling steps back, but the big man doesn't really notice you. It's been a while since you've been around this many people, and it takes you a moment to try to adapt your senses to the instant social anxiety and physical fear alarms triggering in your subconscious. Young, dangerous-looking males of many different species all seem to be around you. There's a group playing a gambling game involving dice in a cup and playing cards to one side, another throng surrounding a handheld electronics vendor. Constant, weird animal noises seem to come from nowhere in particular and merge with the chaotic sense of the city. You stumble a little and realize that Hoshi has left you to start making his way through the crowds. You fumble after him with a little jolt of electric abandonment. You may not like him very much, but he is familiar. As you pass through the crowd, a small, dark-haired female catches your eye. She's young, and her eyes glow with that electric blue fever you're very acquainted with. You swallow hard and glance after Hoshi. He's far ahead at this point, and you feel a driving need to get your brain back. You're tired of the thick, painful process of thinking that's getting worse by the day, and afraid of the shakes in the delirium that's starting. Her eyes meet yours through the mass of organics, and you force your way over to her. You don't know how to begin, but you reach out to touch her arm as she shrinks back. I need... She shakes her head and pulls you into what could be a cargo-loading storehouse or an old merchant house. Through the thick fog that is your thought process, you can hear a slow tick-tock of an old-fashioned mechanical clock, though the timing is off. A moment of syncope makes the world tilt in a stomach-churning lurch, and you have to blink to clear your eyes. The woman is now joined by a man. Both of them are looking at you. You pull out a pocket grab compensator that you'd swiped from Hoshi and offer it that to them. You'd managed to fix it this morning. Snow. The girl and the man look at each other, and the man pulls out an electric blue vial from one of his pockets. You close your eyes in relief as he hands it to you. You can almost taste the garden of sensation of information waiting for you in the blue liquid. You crack the top and delicately dab a little of the liquid on your finger before placing it under your tongue. There's a starburst of light in your mind, and you shiver in delight. The fog is gone. Suddenly you can think. Everything is clear. The man nods and you duck your head, cradling the vial in the deepest reach of your coat, or rather Hoshi's coat. You had to roll the sleeves up. You slip back out into the station crowd, trying to imagine where Hoshi would have gone. You can't remember if he told you or if you listened, and obviously not. You find a station map instead and head toward the market. Maybe you can at least find some better parts there and maybe trade some of the other restored junk you'd found in Hoshi's stash. Your pockets are heavy with trinkets and you're carrying a backpack with some of the larger pieces. You shift the pack more comfortably on your back and head out, trying to ignore the feeling, as, feeling of eyes on you as just a side effect of the snow. Episode 5 you're at a parts counter, diligently running your hands over an ion drive converter. When you feel the air change, your heightened senses catalog the air pressure differential and note the temperature spike as well as the burnt metal and ozone scent emanating from his adrenal gland. Hoshi. You don't turn or acknowledge him in any way, just keep your hands on the converter, reveling in the specifications flowing through your brain and picturing how you're going to incorporate it into Shori. Hoshi takes it away from you, and you feel a hole of emptiness open up in your chest without the sensory stimulation. It makes you restless and angry. Hoshi slips a side look at you and then puts the converter down. You itch to pick it back up, but Hoshi is in the way, and you don't want to touch him. 
What are you doing here? You say instead, cross and annoyed with him now that your brain has nothing interesting to focus on. When you look up at him, you automatically start cataloging faces and registering station conditions, and you can feel your lips moving slightly as you start taking it in. You abruptly avert your face down to the counter to avoid him noticing, but he does. He grabs your jaw and wrenches your head around to look at him. You can tell he sees the electric ring of light around your pupils, and you can't help but notice his skin temperature and biomarkers. You whisper them to yourself unconsciously. His lips curl up in disgust. I see you took my advice and made some friends, he says, in his usual light, I don't give a shit voice, but his expression is so cold. You focus on his eyes, on the pattern in his irises. They remind you of star charts or maybe cellular growth, very complex, but very regular. You're having trouble hearing his voice, registering instead his pulse and blood pressure, skin temperature, and pupil movement. They seem to be changing with some kind of emotion. He shakes you and, the mo and motions to the ion converter. What is this, and how did you buy it? Ion converter, you say, and the words feel like purple in your mouth. You're briefly intoxicated by the feeling and want to taste it again. I fixed some of your junk to trade. Some of it was actually pretty nice once it got cleaned up. He frowns at you. Of course it was pretty nice. I've been collecting it for years. You can't just... He stops as if annoyed with himself. I leave you alone for ten minutes and you've already hawked all my stuff and gotten high. I'm not high, you say compulsively, but the lies taste like orange blossoms and you sigh a little in response. He drops your face and surveys the items you've bought as if resigned. Well, fuck it. No help for it now. You should have trusted me a little. I had a plan. Why would I trust you? You can see these words slip out of your mouth like blue smoke. They swirl around Hoshian patterns that mimic his irises. You're the devil. So I am. He glances around briefly and then takes your elbow. Get your stuff. We're leaving. Where's the rest of it? You're briefly confused, not thinking he would know how much his treasures are worth, but mentally shrugging. The vendor has a servo transporting the big stuff to Shorey this afternoon. Good, he says, giving you another sidelong glance and yanking you to his side as he starts making his way through the crowd toward the docking bay. You like the feel of the air pressure differential against your skin, and the constant changes in light and audio levels in the crowd are suddenly fascinating, as opposed to this morning's terror. You breathe in the sensations and let your brain investigate the shifting patterns, unconsciously pressing the vial shoved into your coverall front pocket. You feel Hoshi's sharp attention at the movement, but you don't care. Your brain is humming with little fizzles of vibration, and you feel like yourself for the first time in a week. Hoshi hauls you into the ship, and you dreamily start exploring Shori's biomarkers, even more complex than Hoshi's, although they are strangely similar. Genetically, maybe. Patterns flow through you, and you find yourself closing your eyes to follow the th faint thread of DNA similarities more easily, except Hoshi slams you up against one of the walls and starts frisking you. Where is it, he says, and you've never heard that growl in his voice before. It's not smooth or charming or light or anything familiar. He rams his hands in your pockets and, start pull and starts pulling off your coverall to inspect. Where's the snow, Burke? I don't have any, you try to lie. But the words get confused in your mouth and come out as a long sigh instead. Hoshi wrenches you around to face him and he starts shoving his hands into your front pockets. You shove him away. Stop. He puts his hand over your mouth and leans hard into you, pinning you against Shori and continues his search. You bite his hand and he yelps, but he keeps it smashed into your face. It's all right, pet. I like it a little rough, he says, but his eyes are distracted. He's found the vial. 
You struggle harder shoving against him and trying desperately to bring it back to you, but he shoves it in his own pocket and then slams your hands up against the wall. What the fuck, Burke? Did you sell one of my treasures to buy yourself that? You glare at him, but he doesn't move and your muscles are weak from snow, so you say yes, a pocket anti-grav device. He shakes you a little and you can feel his heart rate and blood pressure increase. What the fuck? That was mine. Do you know what I had to do to get that stuff? Do you know where they came from? He was hissing now, and you could feel spittle striking your face. You can see the thin scars from his biomodifications, or whatever they are, and you can feel his whole body shoving you in the wall. No, you managed to say, but you owe me. You blew up my ship. Fuck your ship, he says. We had a deal. I thought you were going to come clean, Burke. I told you I would help you. There is no drug use allowed on Shory. None. Zero. Zip. Especially not this garbage. But I need it, you say. You're starting to breathe heavily. The fog will be back soon. The cold, miasmatic fog stopping you from thinking, stopping you from building, stopping you from being right, stopping you from seeing how everything fits together. You're afraid that you're not smart enough without it, that you can't fix Hoshi's ship without it. I need it, you repeat softly, to help you. I can't do the repairs without a little help. Yes, you can, Kaz. You start a little at your first name and Hoshi smirks at you. What? You think I wouldn't find out who you are? You're top-notch, according to all the citizen records I could find. Why do you think I wanted you so badly, Kaz Birkenthiel, former head of research and development for Thiel Industries? Did you honestly think I didn't know? The words hit you like a sledgehammer, and you feel a violent black hole rise up in your gut. No one was supposed to know. The shame and sense of failure you always manage to keep stuffed below the surface start rising up with your real name, and you swallow hard. That's not me, you manage to grind out of your swollen vocal cords. I don't know what you're talking about. But you hate the lie as much as the fact that you're too shitty a liar to make it work. Hoshi pulls out the vial of electric blue liquid again and shakes it in front of you. You can't help but track it with your eyes, and you're sure that Hoshi sees the hunger in your expression. Without breaking eye contact with you, you see the skin around his hand holding the vial ripple and change. Hmm. Translucent. Larger by 10%, your beautiful broken mind registers. With a savage gesture, he crushes the vial in his palm, letting the volatile mixture spill and evaporate within seconds. You cry out, reaching for the faint wisps of blue atoms disappearing into nothingness and battering against Hoshi's restraint. I need it, you scream at him. Don't do this. Hoshi slams you back into the wall twice, two staccato impacts that startle you enough to stop your screaming, and clamps his lips on yours. You can feel sharp teeth and violence from him. You bite him back hard enough to draw blood, and he rears his head back. His eyes are wide, pulse racing, and you can see odd tremors racing through his skin as if some tiny filament creature was sprinting all over his body at the speed of light. Faint luminescence seems to follow his blood vessels, and you can feel his temperature spike. But it's over in a flash. You would never have noticed it if you hadn't been doped. You blink at him in surprise, and he can tell you noted it. He lets you go and takes a step back. No drugs in my ship, especially that one, he says again, back to his light, easy charm. It'll be fine, pet. I have faith in you. 
but you don't have any in yourself. Episode six. You wake up in Hoshi's parts room, face down and sweaty on a pile of the crap you'd been fixing all last night. Your cesium watch tells you it's the next day, mid-duty cycle. Your brain feels heavy and dull. It's been two days and the, and the drug is gone. You had hoped to finish the ion drive before it completely left your system, but you're too late. Now your head hurts. Your whole body feels like something, someone was beating with a sledgehammer. And you can barely breathe. You stagger into the control room and start tugging on various interface parts to find the matter converter and nutritional supplements. Shori is lit with the moonlit colors that mean Hoshi has put her on autopilot. She feels cool and empty. He's not here. You manage to find something that looks like a nutritional supplement rammed behind six or seven folding cabinets that, each, that seem to be joined together by a skin-like membrane and shaped like an origami crane. Each cabinet you unfold changes the origami of the design. First the crane, then a diamond, then cup, then a geodesic ball. You leave it in the ball formation after taking out the packets because you like the regular geometry of it and step toward the viewing screen. Shori's transparent cartilage spans the extent of her eyes, which are currently oriented toward a station. You can't tell if it's Borgani or something new. There are a number of small craft wandering into and out of the window, and you can see that Shori is docked into some kind of rotating mass. But she is turned so you can't see the station itself, only a long field of asteroids and a faraway world that looks blue-green and inviting. Like home. You're surprised at the quick stab of melancholy. It's harsh enough to make your throat thick and prevent swallowing the marshmallowy, disgusting mess that Hoshi calls rations. You quickly ram it down where you can't feel it anymore and distract yourself by being annoyed at Hoshi. Where is he? Shori might know. You glance at the red-green slime that makes up her interface and shudder to yourself. Hoshi seemed to think she was intelligent enough to name, but without the familiar cushion of snow wrapped around your head, the thought of actually touching her organic computer makes you feel faintly nauseated. You take a tentative breath in. It would be a few days until... You still had a couple. <laughs> you still had a day or so until the withdrawal set in completely. You could probably finish the ion drive before the crash killed you. If I'm lucky, you think, taking another mouthful of nutritional supplement and trying to swallow before tasting it. Wouldn't that make all of this so much easier if I could just go to sleep and never wake up? Drown in my own lungs and let my brain liquefy? You pause for a moment, letting that thought curl up inside you before letting it go. Hoshi would lose his shit and bring me back just to kill me, you think. I have to admire his commitment. You put your mug down and screw up your face to slip your fingers into the organic matrix that connects to Shori. There's a sharp effervescence in your head, like you'd just taken a shot of snow, but instead of giving you a waterfall of information, this electricity is calm, focused, and distinctly flavored. 
You can tell it's a person. It's Shori. She meets you with a suspicious hesitation before giving you an impression of gentle welcome and surprise. You grit your teeth a little and try not to like her immediately. There's something very calm and very still about her mind, like a deep ocean of sensation and instinct. You try to picture Hoshi in your mind, understanding intuitively that she preferred not to use words, just emotions and images. There's a moment of quiet before you feel a flood of compassion and a little pride that startles you. You try to withdraw from the link, but Shori's mental grip tightens around you before she releases the pressure. You get the feeling she is giving you her equivalent of a pat on the head and apology. Again, you clumsily try and form an image of Hoshi in your mind. You're anxious, lonely, and afraid without him around. Those emotions waft up from somewhere you don't recognize, and you realize Shori is pulling them out of some dark subconscious place in your brain. You quickly try to shove them back in and away from her. She lets you, with an almost resigned mental sigh, and shows you an image of Hoshi on an unfamiliar station. In your mind's eye, she gives you a fluid map of life signs superimposed on the station's walls. Zack Station, she tells you. You can feel she's feeding and resting and that Hoshi has gone for resupply somewhere that feels like a factory on the station. You focus on remembering the layout and the feel of the factory so you can find it later and then gently withdraw from the mental connection. As you open your eyes, you flex your jaw a couple times. The interface makes your teeth feel numb and your hands are glowing a disturbing white gold. You compulsively wipe them on your coveralls. The goo makes you feel vulnerable and exposed, even if Shori isn't occupying your head. Why does Hoshi like that, you think in bafflement? Being so exposed and open like that, it's... It's very disconcerting. You head back to your quarters to pick up your backpack and Hoshi's coat and start to feel a little stronger once they're on, a little less vulnerable. You take another experimental deep breath, hesitating just a little to realize you still can, and then head out to the station promenade. Shori was docked near the agricultural market. After stepping out of the umbilical corridor, you find yourself in a live market. Fresh game of indeterminate species hang over shop windows and are displayed on ropes and spits around the circular marketplace. You pass by one that looks like some kind of lizard with a stick rammed longitudinally through its body. There's a six-legged mammal still alive, crying in a cage. The image makes you remember passing through the storage facility, bodies piled up, a door opening as the hunters brought in the last one. You can smell death, even though it's refrigerated and cold enough to keep the flesh fresh, and it makes something in your chest wither and die. Caleb, the genetic engineer you've been working with, tugs you towards the side of the room. He seems excited. You swallow and wish you could escape, but you follow him. You don't have a choice. Or at least that's what you tell yourself. Here, he says, drawing back the biofilm to reveal an older female. Look at this one. Her metastatic readings are just off the charts. She'll be a perfect donor for the trial. You slam that memory away with all the other ones that remind you of corporate secrets and ambition and keep your eyes straight in front of you to avoid seeing any other helpless organics about to die. You can't handle that shit right now. You feel very small and alone. A couple males look you up and down before discounting you. 
You think you can hear mocking snickers from somewhere around you, but you keep your eyes down and focus on putting your feet firmly on the floor, as if by not seeing them, they won't see you. Someone grabs your shoulders, feeling you up brutally, and asks if you're for sale, only superficially joking. He laughs when you shake him off and start to run towards the interior of the station. You feel a moment of regret that you're not bigger and stronger, or at least better armed. Maybe Hoshi has some weapons somewhere? I've never seen him use any, but if we're going to be at places like this with any frequency, I want something stabby at least. The crowds got better towards the more technical markets. You pause a moment to try and orient yourself to where you are versus the factory area Shori showed you, and head down one of the twisty corridors toward the very heart of the small station. It's disturbingly empty, and much darker than a station level should be. You start gnawing on your lip and regretting following Hoshi here. What is he doing in a place like this? There's a half-naked young female of some type lounging on one of the plastic totes in front of you. She gives you an apathetic look and opens her legs. You avert your eyes and keep walking, trying to picture where Hoshi would be. You can hear the harsh buzz of a photon blade firing up, a bunch of shouting, someone screaming in pain. You start to run to where you're hoping is Hoshi's factory, fling open a door, and then slam it shut. The building sounds like it's decomposing. HVAC systems rumble and crunch, stopping and starting as if the belt drives had long ago been stripped and no one repaired it. Water pipes and recycling conduit lay smashed and broken around you with the absent drip of leaking septic waste. Emergency lighting flickers on and off, making odd green and black shadows in the hall. Oh, you realize, we're in the utility level. It does comfort you slightly to be around this many machines that you can fix. You open a lighting panel to see a number of junctions rotted out and molded over with something black and disgusting. You make a few small adjustments and test the light switch to see the corridor you're in light up from sickly green to comforting yellow gold. The dripping water stops as well. You replace the cover and wipe your hands on Hoshi's coat, hoping it's not contagious and that he can clean it. You walk deeper into the building. After a moment or two, you can hear voices echoing in the processing plant. One of them sounds light, relaxed, familiar. You breathe out a little in relief and head towards the sounds. The corridor ends in a large room with several tanks and a feedstock tote supporting what looks like a water treatment system. The middle of the room is open, however, and you can see a large man, older, from the back. He's leaning on what looks like chemical storage boxes and a rough blanket underneath him. He seems utterly focused on something happening in front of him. You change your angle so you can see around him. Hoshi, a topless Hoshi, is on his knees in front of the man, licking him. Hoshi's tongue is long, whip-like. almost like a serpent, and his skin is glowing blue-green like it did when he smashed your snow. His eyes are closed, and he seems to be concentrating intently on servicing the man in front of him. You have a moment of profound, agonizing jealousy and disgust seeing Hoshi on his knees until you realize it doesn't seem to be sexual. After shaking off the feeling, you realize Hoshi is actually licking the man's leg, a leg that is grossly abnormal and broken. Shriveled skin and shattered bones seem to have healed wrong and have deformed what should have been whole flesh. As Hoshi licks it, you can see the deformity register on Hoshi's leg, as if the contact transferred it to him from the other man. Even as it does, Hoshi's whole body shakes and his skin ripples as if he's in excruciating pain. 
The other man's face clears as if he's finally not in pain, and you say, What the fuck are you doing? Hoshi opens his eyes to look at you briefly, and you see electric purple irises for a moment before he slams them shut and shivers in helpless agony on the floor. The man he helped looks at you in surprise and then back down at Hoshi. This isn't what it looks like, he says. What does it look like, you say, caustically, as you move to Hoshi's body and try to wrap the blanket around him as he seizes? You're not sure what good it'll do for him, but you feel like you have to do something. The man shrugs. Never mind. Here. He drops a card towards you and then stands up experimentally, bouncing a little on his newly restored leg. Hoshi and I had a deal, and I'm good for it. He lets out a sigh of sheer relief and pleasure. He deserves it. My best to him when he wakes up. The man moves to leave. You try and stop him, but he doesn't pay you any attention and shoulders past. This makes you irrationally angry. Hey, you call after him, but your interest is immediately drawn to Hoshi, who has stopped seizing and seems to be coming around. Hoshi? You ask instead, moving so you can keep his head in your lap and off the floor and keep the blanket on him. You notice an odd shape underneath the cloth as if his arms and legs morph briefly into a single long, thin body that whips back and forth, but you ignore the image to focus on his face. Hoshi, are you all right? Can you hear me? Mm. He says, blinking at you. Burke, what are you doing here? Looking for you, you say crossly, glancing again at the form under the blanket you're holding and seeing the usual shape of limbs underneath it. What the fuck was that? Hoshi smiles and cuddles into your lap, wrapping his arms around your waist and letting out a long sigh. Ah, oh, work, pet. Did Simon leave the card? You pick it up so you can show it to a Hoshi without the other man having to move his head. He cracks an eye to glance at it. Good, he says, closing his eye again, snuggling in closer to you. Mm. I've never gotten to be held afterwards before. This is nice. You slap his shoulder. Hey, you, explain. Just, just give me a minute. His voice seems frayed and tired, and you feel yourself soften just a little and stroke his hair. It's black and silky, and you can feel him relax into the kindness, and you hate that it matters to you but you keep up the small gesture until his breathing settles and it soothes you too. I knew you had a soft spot, Burke, he says after a moment. Several, in fact. Shut up, you say, blushing a little and then remembering that snake tongue you saw. You didn't remember him using that thing on you and it makes you nervous. What was that, you say? What are you? He sighs and leans up on his hands. His face is suddenly very close. He brushes his cheek against yours, pausing for a moment as if waiting for something and then gives up to start pulling on gives up to start gives up to start leveraging himself to stand fine but i'm hungry grab that card and let's get something to eat and we'll talk Hoshi leads you into a pub of some kind, thankfully a few levels away from the utility area, and waves over the waiter. You don't order anything, just keep your eyes on Hoshi, waiting. He scowls at you in exasperation and orders you a drink. You feel your eyebrows go up. You'll need it, he explains, slightly sheepishly. Look, Burke, you have to know I'm, uh, I'm a little different. You don't say, you quip dryly and wait until the waiter drops off your drink. And here I thought all the boys had snake tongues. 
And not to burst your bubble here, Captain Obvious, but not a lot of people can just remake flesh like that instantly without any tools or anything. It's a pretty neat trick you got there. Hoshi coughs a little and you can see him flush slightly. Yeah, about that. I mean, you interrupt. The only people I know of who can do that are the Sunyata, but they're all... You feel your eyes go wide and your heart rate spike. No. No, 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 absolutely not. You lean to get a in to get a better look at him, noting one more time the biomimetic implant scars around his hairline, his jaw, the unusual placement, the unusual size, incredibly delicate. Which would make sense if the implants weren't implants, but was actually a humanoid mask. You blink once and then again. And then take off out of the booth, trying to sprint as far away from the creature in front of you as possible in the shortest amount of time. Hoshi seems to be expecting that reaction. He grabs you around the midsection and wrestles you back into the booth, holding you in sort of an awkward hug until the other customers note you two is not that interesting. You're breathing hard. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Keeps running through your head, but Hoshi doesn't move. He is, in fact, patting your back soothingly. Okay, easy, Burke. Ease up. Re relax. I'm not going to hurt you, I promise. Look, if I wanted to do something to you, I would have already done it, okay? Okay? He was right. You start to calm down. You squeeze his shoulders in a nonverbal acknowledgement, and he gingerly releases you. Both of you settle back into your seats. You're still having trouble breathing, even more so when something else occurs to you. Hoshi. You start... Your name, Hoshi. That's a family, isn't it? He nods. Oh, fuck me, you moan, covering your eyes and leaning hard on your elbows. That's a fucking lineage name. Do I even want to know what your house is? Fujian, he says a little warily, as if he's hoping you won't recognize it. No such luck. You start to laugh a little hysterically. Fujian? The Windlords? Are you fucking kidding me right now? He looks around a little concerned. Keep your voice down, Burke. Yeah, it's my name. Don't wear it out. But you can't stop laughing, or maybe crying. People are starting to stare again. Burke, honey, you have to calm down just a little bit. Calm down? A fucking void dragon. One of the last in the whole fucking galaxy. One of the last of one of the most ancient races in the whole universe. A race I helped destroy is sitting in front of me telling me to calm down. You start laughing again. My God, a sunyata, a sunyata. You're a goddamn sunyata. I deserve this. I deserve every bit of this. Well, Yes, you do, actually, Hoshi says. But just think, I'm offering you a chance at redemption, right? A small thing to help purify your soul. And you owe me. You stop laughing. He was right. You take another look at him. You haven't been this close to a sunyata in a long, long time, and definitely not one that was still alive. Whoever did your mods did a good job, you say, taking the liberty to run your fingers along the seams. He nuzzles into your palm appreciatively and you ignore it. They look just like normal implants, you say, hating that you have to clear your throat first, albeit in kind of a weird placement. Thank you, he says, covering your hand with his. My mother did them. Your mother? 
For some reason, you feel incredibly guilty. There's no way she was one of them. You try and comfort yourself. You pull your hand back. He nods. You start getting that clawing, familiar hole in your stomach. Hoshi, where are we going? Why am I building an ion drive? He sighs. Steel Industries. I want you to meet my sister. Fuck, you think. Not again. Episode 7. I'm not going, you say one more time, as if this time Hoshi will pay attention to you. He does not, and you have to run a little to catch up as he opens the docking bay and strides towards the command center. There's no way. Are you listening to me? There's no way we can even find Thiel, much less break in or whatever stupidity you're trying to do here. No response from Mr. Tall, dark, handsome, extinct species ahead of you. Hoshi, seriously. You pull a little on his coat and he stops, turning to you with a sigh. His eye roll irritates you significantly. You drop his coat and plant your hands on your hips. Don't give me that look, you say, scowling at him. You already know the feel is impossible to get to. That's their whole corporate security shtick. They have a le level of secrecy unheard of by mere mortals. Yeah, because you helped build it for them. He's looking at you with turquoise blue irises that seem to ripple with electricity and stardust, and you briefly forget what you were arguing about. Stop it, you say, suddenly wise. Don't be an asshole. Hoshi smiles at you and slips a big hand around to cradle your neck. Stop what? Whatever psychic nonsense you're doing right now, no. Burke, 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 my love, I am not doing any psychic nonsense. I have, in fact, specifically avoided psychic nonsense to save your precious sensibilities. And this specious argument that you are insisting on having right now is why I didn't want to tell you any of this. He leans closer to you and you inhale compulsively as he whispers into your ear. Why else would I need you and your tracking system? You're one of a kind, Cass. Stop it, you say again, but you flush hot and cold and you can't tell if it's nervous sweat or something else. Hoshi trails his fingers along your jaw, but straightens obediently and holds up his empty palms as he steps away from you. As you say, pet, but I don't do mind control. Anything you're feeling right now is all you. He turns back towards the command center with a smirk that makes you want to punch him. We have things to do, love, places to go, people to meet. You take a couple deep breaths and feel the cold steel pressure of snow withdrawal pu pushing behind your eyes as your heart hammers briefly. You tell yourself it's the snow anyway. What is your thing? You call after him when the sparks in your vision fade and you can use your muscles again. And why is your sister at Thiel? Is she even alive, you wonder? But you're careful not to say that out loud. No one likes knowing someone they love is probably dead. Hoshi settles himself into the pilot chair and Shori lights up her pale, warm, golden color of active interface as protein fibers spool out of the console to surround and link with Hoshi. He sighs a little as if the contact relaxes him and leans back into them. You shudder a little, little at the invasiveness of it and jump slightly as Hoshi's voice echoes both auditorily and emotionally as Shori adds tastes and flavors of his mental state directly into your brain. It makes you feel itchy and vaguely violated. I guess you could call me a physician, that creepy, resonant, almost Hoshi voice says, but the images you get from Shori are of impossible things. Magical healing, remaking flesh, laying on hands, curing diseases, creating living things from nothing. Shori. Holy shit, he made Shori. She's him. There's an amused chuckle as Hoshi hears your thoughts through the link and he winks at you. She sure is. 
Any good doc worth his salt knows you need that double X chromosome for genetic stability, especially when dealing with cosmic radiation environments. He closes his eyes and the view screen lights up with his flight plan and it's obvious he isn't paying attention to you anymore. You sit down hard into the co-pilot's chair. You know that biopsionics are very, very rare. Even in healthy Sunyata houses, a biopsionic only emerges once every few generations. You glance at the creature beside you. If it hadn't been for you and Thiel Enterprises Industries, Hoshi would have been treasured somewhere as one of the few true healers in the galaxy. He would have lived in luxury, pampered and adored, not using his gifts to grow a genetic clone as a spaceship to live in, as a mercenary fuck-up whoring for credit in the bass-ackwards neck of nowhere. A biopsionic. Remarkable. You're a little startled at the rush of protectiveness that the information triggers in you. Biopsionics are powerful and special, but also incredibly fragile. You should know. Another image of the lab and Caleb's broad smile as he shows you the latest test case stretched dead on the metal table, her dorsal ridge split down the middle, revealing an enlarged gland, still pulsing faintly electric blue as Caleb prepares an extraction flask. I've never seen one this big, he says happy. You feel stomach bile eating its way up your throat, and you turn away as he starts cutting into it. These biopsionics have the most of any of them. I wonder why that is. He starts extraction, and you fling yourself to the sink, gripping the slick metal surface to heave up what's left of the meal you didn't get through this morning, and all you can smell around you is alien sweat, disinfectant, and the sweet body smell of death. It's on your hair, in your clothes, everywhere. You blink, and you're back in the ship. The slow, leisurely pace of the stars around you through the view screen reminds you that Hoshi needs an ion engine and tracking software to go back, back to that lab back to the beginning. I'll help you, you murmur out loud, mostly for yourself. Fuck my life, I'll help you. It's the least I can do. Hoshi does you the favor of pretending not to hear as you stagger back to your workshop, trying to muster up some level of courage that you haven't been able to find for two decades. Burke. Burke! Jesus fucking Christ, you say, startled out of your reverie as a big hand slams against your desk right in the middle of your design schematics. Go away, Hoshi, you mutter antisocially. Some of us have work to do. Go play with one of your other friends. I haven't got any other friends. You're my one and only. Burke, it's been days since you've eaten or slept properly. Come out. Take a break. Let me look at you. See if we can't keep you alive a little while longer. It makes you uncomfortable when Hoshi tries to take care of you. Even more so now, when you know what he can do, what he is, who he is. Go away, you say, surly and uncooperative, trying to ignore the gray film covering your vision, the coughing and the constant dizziness that now accompanies your movements. I'm fine. You're not? His eyes are deep blue today, almost black, you note, but only because he's shoved his face up uncomfortably close to yours. You need food and sleep and a chemical adjustment in your brain to stop that snow withdrawal that's fucking you up. I can help with all those things. Come out. No, you say stubborn and a little guilty. Burke, honey, you can almost taste the exasperation in his voice. Will you just let me fucking help you for one tiny second? 
Just pretend that you're unconscious and let me fix you, and then you can go back to being the whole strong, silent type. You purposefully don't say anything, just glare at him, and deliberately move his hand off your desk with a little flick. Without breaking eye contact, Hoshi puts his hand right back. I could shoot you again. That was the only way I could think to get your attention the last time. It seemed to be very effective. You hiss in frustration and a little embarrassment. Shut up. Go away. I told you I'd build the engine and integrate the AI, didn't I? I told you I'd help you find Thiel, didn't I? Well, I'm doing the thing, so why don't you do us both a favor and get the fuck out of my workshop? God, Cass, you are so grumpy all the time. Why is that? Is all Hoshi says, tapping his pursed lips with a long finger. I was trying to be all respectful of consent and whatnot, but I think in this case you're just going to have to deal. Sections. So, sex scene, readers, and I don't like reading them, so. You wake up curled into Hoshi, his face opposite yours on the floor of the workshop. It's cold and uncomfortable, but you hate to admit that you like finally getting to touch him. The thought is immediately followed by a wash of guilt, as if you had any right to touch him. It almost puts you in a bad mood until you look at Hoshi's face. He looks awful, gaunt, haggard almost as if he was the one going through withdrawal, not you. Wait, you feel great. Your mind is clear, if a little slower than on the drug. Your lungs are open. You take a deep, experimental breath. No pain, no tingles, no gray vision, no shakes, nothing. Hoshi's hands are curled into himself, as if even sleeping he doesn't want to infringe on your space. Son of a bitch, you think, in mingled gratitude, horror, and self-loathing. He healed you. You? Why? It feels like a waste of a gift to you and makes you sigh in perplexed frustration. What am I supposed to do with that? After a moment, you pull him closer and stroke his hair back from his face, remembering that it seemed to help at the warehouse. Hoshi's muscles relax infinitesimally. You shove him over to one side so you can cuddle him and try not to think how embarrassing this posture is. He doesn't seem to notice, but it's easier to hold him this way, and the instant relaxation and deepening of his breathing tells you it's working. You can't help but notice his skin is almost gray, and his heart beats erratically. I'm sorry, you think at him, hoping that he can't hear thoughts. You feel your eyes trying to shut and can't seem to feel the cold or the floor anymore, and sleep seems like a great idea. In what could have only been minutes later, you wake up again. This time, you're tucked in Hoshi's bunk, the little spoon. That's redundant. And the big lug is hot breathing all over your right ear. You check the skin coloration on the arm wrapped around you, and it's a healthy pink golden brown. Just make that golden brown. You feel a part of your brain relax as you elbow Hoshi. Quit breathing on me. Mm, quit ruining the moment, he murmurs back and holds you tighter. Didn't ask you to heal me, you say. 
You didn't have to do that, especially not when you stop. You don't know how to say thank you or how to apologize for making him take on your pain or even if you wanted to say any of that, so you shut up. Hoshi doesn't respond to your aborted sentence. I like holding you, he says instead, and it's been ages since I've gotten to fuck someone with some spirit. Thank God. Shut up, you say, because you can feel your face getting red. Don't get used to this. Why not? Hoshi seems genuinely surprised, and he braces himself up on an elbow to peer down at you. Seriously, I mean, I don't, I don't have to do the whole glowy, magic-y thing every time. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know. It takes a lot out of a man. Though, he gives you a toothy smile. You're absolutely worth it. I'm just saying, I've only got a couple of those in me, and then I need a nap and a snack. You're miserably uncomfortable. With him being so close and so good or kind or vulnerable or whatever, you don't do relationships. just sucks and you don't want to deal with it. You push him away. He flops down on his pillow and pouts. Seriously, Burke, it's a small ship, and until you finish the ion engine, it's just going to take a while to get anywhere. He pats the spot next to him. Why not just enjoy the ride? Come on, I'll only bite if you ask really, really nicely. A smile with those sharp teeth comes your way, and it annoys you. What is wrong with you? You ask, searching the room for some kind of covering and settling on Hoshi's coat. As you pull it on, you stop a minute and stare at your hands. How can you... I mean... You know what I've done, who I am. Doesn't it bother you? Should it? Hoshi's voice wasn't light and playful now. Maybe I don't know what you've done. Maybe you should explain it to me. Just stop. Don't touch me, you say as you open the hatch to leave. I'm awful, all right? Just leave it at that. Burke! But you don't stay to hear the rest of it. Episode 8 I need stuff, you say imperiously as you dump a tablet on Hoshi's abdomen. He had been dozing in the pilot's chair, obviously watching the aurora on a nearby planet. Lots of stuff. He makes an oof sound as it hits his stomach, wakes up, and scans it. Laser pistol, armored biosuit, monoblade knife, post-tech cool toolkit, data slab, meta tool, spare parts. Burke, what is all this? Stuff, you say again, annoyed. And I need the schematics for Shori. I think I'm almost ready to start integrating the AI at least, which should be pretty straightforward. The ion drive is going to be much more complicated. So where do you keep her schematics? Hoshi looks at you blankly. What's a schematic? It takes you a full minute to process the question. 
Are you kidding me right now? You look around the ship. It's a document that helps people repair and upgrade your ship. How did you get web access and all this stuff installed without it? I know you sure as hell didn't do it. You're mechanically inept. He shrugs. No idea. I just, um, I just help people and they help me back, you know? He smiles sweetly at you. You know how it is. Besides, for anything that's really a problem, I can just grow Shori a new organ. I have got a great cloning bed in the med bay. That's not... Jesus. You grab the tablet and add more parts and a reminder to yourself to actually make a schematic of Shori since the brute disc doesn't have a clue. Burke, that sounds like it's going to take a long time. Why waste the effort? Can't you just drop in the parts and we head out? No, you bark at him, revising your design schedule and making notes on the engine specifications that you had hoped to finalize this week. You unconsciously start tapping your fingers in the distinctive 335 pattern that always makes you feel, feel more calm and repeat your favorite kinematics equation over and over again in your head. You didn't have to do this when you were on snow, but since someone has made that impossible, you're stuck with this method of self-soothing again. You can't help a quick glare at Hoshi with the thought. What? He says. I didn't even do anything to you yet. I know. You snap at him and stomp back to the engine room in disgust. Burke! Burke, why do you need a laser pistol? Hoshi, Hoshi shouts after you. To make up for your bad decisions. Not all of us are pretty, you shout back. Stupid void dragons have no perspective. Shori's internal skin shudders and turns green gold, something that you've never seen before. It's enough to startle you out of your world of math and equipment specifications. The feeling of slowing down is also unusual. Hoshi likes to keep moving, and it's rare for him to just stop in such a barren stretch of space. You peek your head out of your workshop and head through the engine room toward the command center. Shori's neurons fire above you in unusual patterns, and you can't help the momentary stab of regret for the crushed vial of snow that Hoshi took from you. If I was on snow, I'd be able to map those patterns, you think resentfully. Stupid dragon. Another ship is prominently featured in Shori's viewing screen. It's sleek, efficient, but there are giant burn streaks and metallic craters that make you immediately nervous. No one nice has laser burns on their hull, you think automatically. Hoshi has his hands in Shori's interface and is communicating with someone on the small console where you can't see, but you can certainly hear. Daiki, come on now, my heart. Would I do something like that to you? Aren't we old friends? I'm just saying that I can help you with your little problem, and maybe you can help me find some equipment. None of the list I sent you is that hard to find, especially not for a man of your talents. Just give me a few hours and I'll have you and that crew of degenerates right as rain, and you can help me get my engineer off my back. Such sensitive little creatures, aren't they? Hoshi's smarmy tone immediately annoys you, especially hearing my heart from Hoshi to someone other than you, and you crane your neck to see who he's talking to. Daiki, or whatever his name is, looks like a thug. Heavy set, scarred, wearing battle armor as if he actually uses it. His face is set in unsmiling glare focused completely on Hoshi. You ease closer. Hoshi. After the last time, you have the nerve to ring me up by the cold black of space? You have balls, I'll give you that. He pauses as if weighing the pros and cons of dealing with Hoshi. Fine, but I warn you, if you try and pull any of that shady shit like last time... 
There's an off-camera sound, a snicker-snack of unsheathed slicing blades, and Daiki flicks one towards Hoshi on the screen. It will cut you into tiny pieces and drop what's left of you onto the ruins of your dead planet. Do we understand each other? Of course, of course. Hoshi holds up his palms in a familiar peace gesture. I'm just here to help, really. Nothing wrong with both of us having a nice time, getting some benefit out of this, you know. Now, any of your crew have anything in particular I should be aware of? No, Daiki says curtly. Same rules as before. Unarmed. No tech. We'll strip you before you get on the ship. The big man leans closer to the camera. And I can do whatever I want to you, right? Same as before. If you hadn't been watching, you might have missed the faint tremor that went through Hoshi's shoulders, but he smiled at Daiki and nodded. Of course, those are the rules. Especially for an old friend like you. As soon as I'm on board, though, I'll be expecting the equipment transfer to Shori. My engineer will take care of it. Daiki grunted something that could have been an affirmative as Hoshi pulls you in front of him and yanks you down to console level. This is my engineer, Burke. Daiki looks at you closely. Not really your type, Hoshi. So, Burke, you like getting fucked by a freak, or is it more of a business arrangement? Fuck you, you start to say, but Hoshi covers your mouth and yanks you back, smiling at Daiki. Oh, don't worry about Burke, he says as you try and bite his hand. He winces as you get a piece of his palm. Everybody has their kink, you know. Sure, whatever. Daiki leans back into his chair and waves at something off screen. We're ready whenever you are. He gives Hoshi a wolfish smile that you don't really understand. Looking forward to it. Hoshi cuts the connection and lets you go. You glare at him. What the fuck was that? You ask. Hoshi tries to pull you into his lap, but you push him away. Explain. Shopping, my love, he says in a long-suffering voice and releases you. We're too far out from anywhere civilized to get the stuff you wanted, but I happen to remember that Daiki works this sector pretty often, so... Don't call me that. Daiki works this sector? What, like a merchant? Sort of. Hoshi agrees, standing up and stretching, for all the world looking nonchalant and relaxed, but something about it feels off to you. Hoshi, what's going on? Nothing, Burke. I'm just going to hop over to their ship for a little bit, doctor up their crew, and come on back. All you need to do is grab the equipment they drop off. You swallow hard and feel a knot of fear. They're mercenaries, right? What happens if they don't send over the stuff, or they try and take over Shori or something? Hoshi shrugs. It's a risk, pet. You'll have to think of something. You blink, horrified. But Shori doesn't have any weapons. What am I supposed to do? Couldn't we just wait until we get to a station or a planet or something? It would be so much safer. Hoshi closes his eyes and rolls out his shoulders. You can see faint stress lines etch themselves into his mask. Burke, the nearest station is weeks away. Daiki is here. Honestly, we'd probably have to deal with him anyway to cross this sector. At least this way we have a chance to make a deal with him. And maybe if we're clever enough, we can even come up positive out of the deal. It takes you a second to register his meaning. Oh my god, are you going to try and cheat him? Hoshi winks at you. Of course. If I'm going to get fucked this hard, there better be something more in it for me than a lousy toolkit. Hoshi, no, this is a terrible idea. 
Burke, relax. It's going to be worse for me anyway. All you have to do is receive the equipment and try not to lose the ship. Lay off, why don't you? You can see the worry and something else move across his expression, and he suddenly seems very tired. After a second's consideration, you move to the kitchenette and remove a small flask of synthetic alcohol you've been saving and hand it to him. He looks at you in surprise. You avert your eyes and mumble, since you took away my snow, I wanted something to take the, take the edge off, and all you have is nutritional supplements. He smiles at you and takes a swig, promptly coughing and gagging. Fuck, Burke, that's horrible. You snatch it back and throw down a mouthful defiantly, trying not to vomit it back up. Shut up, that's gratitude for you. But you uh, interrupt yourself by coughing, and some of the material backs up into your nose. You can feel your face turn red as all your mucous membranes start to burn. Hoshi doubles over in laughter and steals the flask back. It helps though, right? You ask quietly, once he's calmed down a little. Sure does. You're waiting at the docking bay. Hoshi has been gone for at least half an hour, and no one showed up with the stuff. You pace and chew on your lip, gnaw on your fingernails, recheck the nets and microfilaments you had Hoshi start growing before this little exchange. You take a moment to rub your face with both hands as you wish it would just get on already. You hate waiting, especially for bad stuff. Finally, finally, there's a little ping against Shori's hull and the thunk that tells you a boarding corridor has been docked. Your fingers start that 335 tapping against the cargo bay door console without your conscious knowledge, and you very deliberately flatten your hands against the interface when you see it. Though sh through Shori's cartilage window, you can see a metal corridor and a woman's face now. She juts a chin towards you and taps on the window authoritatively. You swallow and hit the override to let her in. She's tall for a woman, strong looking and very bored. She stands with one hand on her hip, laser rifle attached to her matching black body armor chest plate. There's a small servo robot behind her with a pallet of what you hope to be your equipment. A pink bubble emerges from her mouth and she snaps it back in with a crack. You have a moment to feel insulted that she's chewing bubblegum while you're freaking out, but then she looks around the bay, yawns, and pulls a pistol out to calmly shoot you in the chest. You fly backwards, hitting Shori's wall, and the breath heaves out of you, confusing your diaphragm and making little gasping sounds come out of your mouth. Shori snaps up the microfilament protein structures you and Hoshi had grown around the woman, grown around the door constricting her like a bug trapped in spider silk as you roll onto your knees, trying to adjust the chest plate you'd tucked into Hoshi's shirt back into place. You hadn't expected the force of the shot to fling you that far, and it takes you a moment to make it back to Shori's interface panel so you can ask her to add another few protein bands around the mercenary and hold her tighter. You grab the respirator on the console, manage to limp over to the woman struggling against the bands, and crack the vial Hoshi had given you under her nose. She slumps forward. You clip a carabiner and rope to the server and winch the pallet into Shori, closing the cargo doors and keeping your respirator on. Don't worry, you rasp to her through the faceplate as you start inventorying what they'd actually sent. I won't kill you. She doesn't respond. Whatever was in the vial was enough to knock her out thoroughly. You go ahead and cut through enough of the protein to go through her pockets, removing all of her weapons and most of her clothes. They would probably fit you, actually. And it would be nice to not have to borrow Hoshi's all the time. You pause for a minute and then reactivate the growth cultures Hoshi had left to regrow the microfilaments, tying her back up while you wait. There wasn't anything in the pallet. 
It's a dummy. You groan and sit back on your heels. The pile of weapon and weapons and clothing from the woman was good, but you had really actually almost believed that Daiki was going to send parts and tools, stuff you needed. It makes you grind your teeth and feel a quick wave of cold nausea for whatever Hoshi was doing. It's probably very unpleasant. I wonder what happened to him the last time. I wonder what he's doing. You glance at the woman. They would definitely notice that she's not back yet. What do I do? You're starting to panic a little. Hoshi was still gone. Someone was going to come looking for this woman. You rifle through her documentation. Zubeda. Pretty name. You were trying to distract yourself so that your brain didn't drown itself in the panic circles of indecision you could feel trying to swallow you up. Fuck, fuck, fuck. What do I do? You fish another vial out from one of Shori's cabinets, crack it under Zubeda's nose, and then start rolling her towards the bay doors. The boarding corridor is still there. You shove her next to the door and stop, breathless and unsure. What would Hoshi do? Think. A sudden ping and a series of thuds against the door break into your consciousness. You stand up and look through the window. Another server loader is running into the door over and over again as if it had been programmed to head into Shori and couldn't understand why the door was shut. Your fingers tap 335 over and over again until you finally open the door to let it in. With a little whine of gears, the loader droid heads into the cargo bay and you can see it's weighted down. With a lot of stuff. Too much stuff, actually. Someone screams from the mercenary ship and there are two thuds that shake the corridor between both ships and you can see and you see Hoshi run drag himself towards you. Run, he shouts as soon as he's in sight. We have to go. We have to go right now. You roll Zubeda into the docking corridor and hope that it has an automatic vacuum protection system installed as you thrust your hands into Shori's disgusting organic interface and start up the engines. As soon as Hoshi is inside, you slam the door closed and pull away from the mercenary ship. Hoshi shoves you aside without preamble and takes your place at the interface. You're almost offended until you get a good look at him. Mostly naked, blood seeping from a dozen wounds, something had smashed his feet, and you can see what could only be rope burns on his wrists and ankles. His skin is so pale, you can see what looks like turquoise smoke moving under the flesh until you realize you're looking at his psionic form under the damaged organic shell system. You reach out to touch him. Hoshi. He hisses at you. Not even real words, just a long, angry hiss. You pull your hand back. Shori heaves as if Hoshi is trying to evade something. You find a reasonably stable spot to sit and wait. There was no way that Shori can outrun a merc ship. No way whatsoever. An impact of some kind ripples through Shori, making her skin turn that awful green color again. Instead of golden light, her dendrites and cartilage bridges flush red, and you can see Hoshi throw his head back as if in pain. There's a rushing sound as if she's been shot, and a hole vacuuming into space. You clench your arms around your knees and drop your head onto them. We're going to die, you think, feeling the spasms arching, arcing through the ship and listening to Hoshi's gasps as Shori wrenches herself side to side. Then, a horrible feeling of falling. Gravitation failing. You are weightless, spinning in the emptiness of the cargo bay as equipment and pieces of Shori slam against you. A couple glimpses of Hoshi show him with his feet literally grown into Shori's floor, his hands still buried in her interface and his mouth opened in a soundless scream as everything falls apart.
Episode 9. The awful motion finally comes to a stop. You un slowly uncurl from the fetal position you'd unconsciously adapted, adopted as you were thrown around the interior of the cargo bay. You take stock. Shori is a dead, pale green. A couple dendrites are still firing, but her normal pearly gray or golden color is gone. You can see a portion of her spine is cracked. The walls are leaking green fluid. The bay itself is a minefield of debris and broken equipment. You haul yourself up to find a couple med stim packs from the equipment pile and slap them on the worst of Shori's wounds that you can see. There's no sign of Hoshi. You limp your way up the bridge towards the command center in med bay, looking for more stim packs and hoping for good news. There's green fluid everywhere. Hoshi only has a few more stim packs, so you shove those into a backpack for later. You're hoping Hoshi doesn't need them more than Shori, but it's not looking like luck is on your side today. You grab a handheld bioscanner, two Lazarus patches, and a manual med kit and head up to the engine bay. Control Center. It's dark. There's no neural activity above you and the interfaces are all dead. Even Shori's crystalline cornea view screen has a giant crack through the middle of it. There seems to be less bleeding up here, but you can't tell the full extent of the ship's damage or where Hoshi is. You make your way back towards the engine room. Shori's heart, the engine, is still pulsing weakly, but slow and erratic. You slap a Lazarus patch near the sinoatrial node and activate it. The one-shot diagnostic suite opens on the interface and flashes, shock advised, clear, so you pull your hands away and step back. Electricity arcs over the giant heart once, twice, three times. The rhythm stabilizes and roars back to full strength, shimmering the air around you pearly white and flashing nerve action potentials above your head to reverberate up the neurons towards the control center. With a deep thrum, you can feel the air system kick on again and Shori groan as her skin ripples back to life. The Lazarus patch flashes again and discharges its, loads, its load of antibiotics, coagulant, system stabilizers, and plasma into the heart. And you see a strong flood of green fluid pulse along the cartilaginous cord corridors, racing from room to room and through the axial spinal cord. With it, most of the bleeding or leaking seems to stop. You haul a servo out from the maintenance closet up to the main corridor so it can lift you high enough to slap a stim pack on the giant crack in the middle of her spine. The bone crackles as the pack stimulates osteoblast activity, knitting the crack up before your eyes. You let out a small breath in relief as the groaning around you eases and Shori seems like she's in less pain. But still, no sign of Hoshi. Hoshi, you try to shout, but your voice breaks and you can't get out more than a whisper. You cough in annoyance and massage your throat. When you do, you realize your hand is badly cut. Adrenaline is masking the pain so far, but you glance down to see if there's anything else you should be feeling. Your knee is at an odd angle, almost as if it was dislocated and popped back into place. Your shoulder is definitely out of joint. You can feel bruised or broken ribs now that you're paying attention, and one of your fingers dangles without much feeling. You shrug and slap a stim pack on yourself, and the immediate cool rush of opiates and healing factors makes you let out a grateful breath. You head back down to the cargo bay. In less pain and healing slowly, you start gently moving debris and organizing what's left of the bay, at least the light and easy stuff. 
You have a quick flash of seeing Hoshi grown into the floor near the door console, so you make your way in that direction, moving bits into organized piles while you do. Your heart stops as you see a crushed hand buried under a shattered servo control box. You try to heave it off of him, but you're too weak and the thing is too heavy anyway. You look around frantically and see the protein net and winch is still semi-functional, hanging from the ceiling. Moving as quickly as your fractured knee will allow, you hook the net up to the servo and one-handed begin manually winching it up. The higher it goes, the sicker you feel inside. You're pretty sure Hoshi is dead and that not even a Lazarus patch will be able to bring him back. You stop and anchor the winch and stagger back to Hoshi's shell. It's gray already. Purple-black lividity pooling around his extremities and what's left of his back and hip. You glance over to see chunks of him have separated and are lying like discarded pounded meat cutlets next to him. You feel your breathing start to speed up and something like panic rumbling around the inside of your chest. You find his head still attached, thank goodness, just hidden from your view as you rotate the body and start to pull it out where you can examine it easier. The skull is intact. In fact, you notice that not only is the skull still intact, but it's glowing with familiar turquoise light. As you give the body space, the light spreads down the ruined flesh, and you can see ephemeral scales and the wisp of Hoshi's true form escaping through the biomask. You laugh a little in relief as you see that. Hoshi didn't have just any old biomask organic shell. The protective layers and the way the skin split tells you it's a top-of-the-line Pontifax shell. The shell has done its job, but you have to work to keep the laughter from turning hysterical, and you dump enough tranquilizers into your system to keep you calm for a while. Running out, you note, I'll need to be careful there. Hoshi, the real Hoshi, not the shell, isn't moving and isn't coming out. He must be unconscious or trapped in the failed bond, you think. You've never built or worked with Pontifax shells, but you know what they are and roughly how they should work, though... Since they are definitely not mechanical, you're a little shaky on the details. You put your fingers on the underside of Hoshi's shell jaw, feeling for the tiny connections that should act as the activation points for his psychic energy. They are very tiny. You root around in the medical kit to find a needle to decompress the linkages. There are over a dozen, and it takes you several moments to delicately disconnect each one. When you do, there's a flash scent of burnt ozone, and then Hoshi's translucent turquoise form is lying on top the ruins of its shell. It's still not responsive, as if its mind or psychic energy has been burned out. You've never been this close to a living void dragon before, and you can't help but reach out to touch him. He's whole, sort of, though he looks like nothing but living light, his skin changes color along the path your hand takes, and his body morphs and ripples as if he was air or water. You gulp a little. He's beautiful, but very, very weird. Not like any other life form you've ever seen before, and it makes you deeply uncomfortable. And how are you supposed to heal light? He doesn't have a body to apply the Lazarus to, if it would even work, and his organic shell is completely destroyed. There's nothing left to save. You reach your hands under Hoshi and find you can lift him. He weighs almost nothing. And you have to be careful to gather him up as if he were heavy smoke, as bits of him keep slipping off and disappearing into nothingness. 
but you find you can waft him into a little bundle to carry and you make your way to the med bay. Carefully, you lay him in one of the med beds, the one used for stasis, so it has shallow walls. And immediately, the smoke light Hoshi expands into its resting state. Um, sinuous body, scales, tail, twisting, fluidity. Twisting fluidity confined by the bed. It makes you shiver a little at the alienness of it. Watching him, you think you remember that Pontifax shells not only provide structure for their psychic car carriers, but they are also energy conduits and collectors that could augment and amplify the psychic skills. Without worrying about keeping his form, Hoshi can use the suit to collect ambient energy, condense it, and amplify his own healing skills. You wrinkle your nose a little. So, energy? I just need to pump him full of what? Light? You look around. Most of Shori's equipment is broken or still shallowly bleeding. You grimace a little and dig through one of the diagnostic sensors. You're pretty sure it's powered by cesium. Radioactivity is like light, right? It's energy, anyway. You pull on a set of gloves before you remove the protective cover plate, drop it into the stasis bed, and close the top, watching through the clear, lead-lined glass anxiously. Nothing happens. After a few moments, though, you can see Hoshi's form a little better. Now he seems to be able to keep a consistent size, his scales are defined, little wisps of himself stay put instead of dissipating immediately. That's a good sign, right? You think? You hope because you don't have any more good ideas and your knee and shoulder is killing you. But you shuffle painfully to the control center to see if Shori is awake and can tell me what the fuck is going on. Shori is not in a good mood. In fact, she refuses to talk to you for the first few hours, obviously in shutdown or rest mode. You hobble down to check on Hoshi, who seems to be recovering very, very slowly, if at all. But you end up napping in the pilot's chair, one hand idly shoved in the organic computing interface, waiting for Shori to get up from her nap. Dimly, you gradually become aware of a sort of insistent buzzing in your mind. You open your eyes to see a flickering representation on the view screen as Shori opens her eyes for the first time since the crash. A jungle is what you see. Shori has crashed in the middle of what might be a rainforest, or a well-lit swamp, you can't really tell yet. You can see sunlight, dense plant growth, and you can see that Shori is partially submerged in a vast river. Only her head bobs up from the water. As you watch, you can feel her change buoyancy, and the angle of the viewfinder gradually shifts as if she's coming up to the surface. Nothing about the place looks familiar or inhabited. You sit up expectantly and note with approval that the med stim has done its job. Your shoulder and knee have stopped aching and almost feel usable again. Shori, you say tentatively, not knowing if you should try to use the interface or if she can hear you out loud. Are you okay, girl? Through the interface, the ship pours a ton of sensory information at you that makes you shut your eyes futilely and snatch your hand out of the computer goop. Easy, girl. I'm not feeling so hot myself. You're going to have to slow down a little bit. Obediently, the view screen shifts from the outside image to a black background with white letters. Very simple. 
Is Hoshi all right? Yes, maybe I think, you answer a little confusingly. I have him in the med bay, but he's not healing very well. His pontifex shell was damaged, and I'm not sure what he needs. Do you know? Energy. Uh, yes, okay, but where? Do you have enough to fix him? No, sunlight. What about sunlight? The view again snaps out to the river and the jungle before flashing to black. Sunlight. Oh, you blink. You mean I should take him outside? What, like a cold lizard? Yes, I'm doing the same thing. Very clever, you say, impressed in spite of yourself. Hoshi had obviously engineered quite a companion for his space journeys. How many other ships were solar-powered? Shori, are you all right? Can I help you with anything? Intake reactors are jammed. Cannot feel wings. You can't feel your wings. Like you don't know if you can fly again? You try to picture Shori's manta ray configuration. Her wings were the majority of the surface area on the ship, and if all that was dead, maybe it was a spinal cord problem. I wish Hoshi was awake. This is more his, his thing than mine. Yes, flashed on the screen, and you can feel a rush of unhappiness at the thought of being groundbound on this world. Shori, are there any people around? Can you tell where we are? What is this place? Any towns? What about Daiki's ship? Can you see if anyone's still following us? We should be dead, she writes. I can't tell where we are. My maps are scrambled. Everything is scrambled. Great, you huff. Well, at least no one is going to come hunting us for a little while. Might as well let the weirdos sunbathe and see what happens. The viewfinder goes back to the image of the empty jungle of the... As Shori retreats into herself for whatever healing or rest she can do, as you contemplate the vast green wilderness before you. I hate nature, you think. Stupid camping trips are never as much fun as people pretend. All right, Hoshi, let's get you out for a tan. He is a little easier to carry this time. You're able to gather him up and make your way to the cargo bay. Shori is moved to a sand ridge nearer to the banks of the river where the water is shallower and dropped her wings down so you can walk on them. But the water is still deep and you're not nearly tall enough to make it without partially swimming. But it's only a few feet and you're able to haul yourself and Hoshi up onto Shori's wings enough to stretch out into the sunlight, in the sunlight. After settling Hoshi, you stare up into white gold light almost in awe. As a child of near-constant space travel, you've never actually seen this much sunlight through an atmosphere before. The sound of the water combined with bird calls and thick, heavy smells of the jungle puts you to sleep almost immediately. You wake up when something wet and cool plops on your face. Your sunshine has been tempered by rain. Sheets of it, actually. You've never been in the rain before, just seen it. You close your eyes and let your hair and clothes get plastered with the wet, opening your mouth into light. It tastes fresh and floral like liquid flowers with just a hint of dirt. You hear a chuckle next to you and look over to see Hoshi floating near you. His form is defined now, solid looking, although you can see the rain pass through him. You look happy, Burke, he says without speaking. I was happy until you ruined it, you say, being mean, unintentionally. Something about Hoshi just seems to bring out the worst in you. 
You can feel the touch of his mind against yours. It's too intimate, and it's he's too close. You feel guilty for the snark and immediately mumble, I'm glad you're okay. Yes, I'm better. Still a little weak, but that was quick thinking on your part. Thank you, Cass. His iridescent turquoise skin seems to shimmer like oil on water in the rain, and you flush a little, immediately feeling stupid. Hoshi's alien face doesn't register emotions, but you get the feeling he's amused. What do you think of my real form? He asks you teasingly. Aren't I handsome? He stretches out so you can see all seven feet of lithesome blue-green creepiness and spins a little, doing a couple acrobatic swoops in midair to show off. You're all right, you grump, annoying as ever. Ha! You can't be sure, but you think his mind voice feels just a little out of breath, if that was possible, as if the exertion had been a little too much for him so quickly. Thunder growls overhead and the rain intensifies. Come inside, dragon man. You may not have to worry about material concerns, but I'm wet and cold, and I don't want to be hit by lightning. Besides, Shori needs a checkup. She's injured? His skin seemed to flash a multitude of shades of blue before settling back to the normal turquoise. I thought I regenerated most of her during the crash. I don't know what that means, you say, making your way down Shori's wings, slipping consistently enough that you give up and just slide down her side into the water. The river feels bathwater warm now, and you don't mind the quick swim to her mouth. Hoshi hovers above you. But yes, she's injured. I took care of her as best I could. Gosh, Burke, that sure looks cold down there, you poor baby. Oh, don't you worry, you overgrown lizard. I'm going to help you build a new pontifex, you say through gritted teeth as you haul yourself up on the sandbar and make your way into Shori. There's no way you get to stay all immaterial and shit. We have things to do. Indeed came the dry response. There's a flash of lightning and a tremendous crack of thunder that makes you jump. When your eyes clear, your attention is captured by a single rider of some kind of speeder, hovering about 30 feet in the air, obviously waiting. The shape of the machine and the armor of the rider looks somehow familiar to you. With sudden understanding, you make a dash towards Shori's cargo bay, only to get cut off halfway by another body. This one, the same imposing woman as before, only, you know, in a different outfit. You brush your palm against the pistol you stole from her, ironically appreciating seeing her while you're wearing her stuff. Zubeda, you say pleasantly. What a nice surprise. Come here often. Low rumbles in the sky cut off whatever reply she might have had as you fire two quick shots to her forehead and roll back into the murky water, thanking your controlling parents. Uh, let's do hoping for the best. Another boom of thunder that ripples the water as you pop your head up to see that no one followed you. Zubeda was on the ground, but two other mercenaries had set up some kind of energy cell discharge or magnetic field. Hoshi was obviously incapacitated, held motionless three feet above the ground. Hey, you call, trying to draw their attention to you. Assholes, come get me. But no one pays attention. One of the armored figures, you're pretty sure, is Daiki, strides forward with some kind of box, snaps the latches open, and before your eyes, Hoshi begins to dematerialize, like he's being sucked into a black hole. His form spaghettifies, lengthening, almost vaporizing, until Daiki snaps the lid closed on him with a snap. A traumatizing sound you can hear over the thunder. You rush up the sandbar going to one knee so you can better fire at Daiki. 
The other mercenary quickly steps in front, throwing up a pure energy shield to absorb the attack. You grind your teeth in annoyance and sprint closer, sand dragging at your feet, raining more fire down on the two through the storm. The figure on the speeder swoops in, firing three shots, one hitting your abused shoulder, the others forcing sand and grit into your eyes as it strikes right in front of you. By the time your sight clears, Daiki and Hoshi are gone. Oh, fuck you, universe, you shout. Are you fucking kidding me right now? The storm rumbles on, unconcerned, as you make your way back to Shori and stumble in through the cargo bay, sealing up the room and calling, Shori, honey, would you please submerge us again? Daiki is here. No response except for the telltale grind and heave of the ship rolling herself back into the water as you make your way to the control center and thrust your hands into the interface for maximum efficiency. Shori, can you find Hoshi? A feeling of assent. In your mind's eye, Shori lets you see a heat map with a kind of mental lodestone feeling that must be Hoshi tracking north-northeast. Fast. Can you fly yet? Negative feeling followed by regret. You try to keep your temper. It's not her fault. Shori, does Daiki know what Hoshi is? Is there any chance that he wouldn't know what a sunyata is? Negative feeling followed by regret. You let out a scream of disgusted frustration, yank your hands out of the interface, and fling the nearest object across the room. Shori flashes, don't throw things on the screen when you turn back. It makes you angrier. angrier. God damn it, you scream and look for more things to throw, but unfortunately... You already cleaned and organized most of this earlier in the day. It's very unsatisfying. Daiki is trapped here. Nothing can fly during the storm. He's only a few miles away. You can go after him. You snort. Me and what army? Have you looked at me recently, sweetheart? I'm not really the fighting type. Hoshi needs someone. I know, I know, I know. Just let me think, okay? You hold your head in your hands and try to think of anything other than just running out into the wilderness after your ghost dragon boyfriend. Good God, this seems like a bad idea. Shori, is the Merc ship close? Can you open a comms channel to them? There was a short hesitation then. Yes. Good. Communications to Merc ship, please. You settle into the pilot's chair and try to think of what you're going to say. Nothing comes to mind. You hope that inspiration will strike on the off chance anyone answers. But no one did. Try again, please, you say through gritted teeth, trying not to feel impatient and enraged about the whole stupid situation. After two more tries, Daiki's image finally shows up on your console. Daiki, you breathe in relief, which then makes you feel stupid as you try and think of something clever to open with. Fortunately, he takes the initiative. Burke, was it? What do you want? A deal, if you'd be so kind. I'd like Hoshi back, and I'm willing to negotiate. Daiki tosses, tosses his head back in genuine laughter. A deal for a void dragon? Kid, I could retire on when that fuck-up Hoshi's hide is work, worth alive. Why on God's green earth would I need to make a deal with you? He's sick, you blurt out. Very sick. It's a virus that can get spread through light. And Hoshi's dying. If you take him, your AI will short out, and Hoshi will still be dead by the time you get to anyone who might be willing to buy him. You're lying, kid. I can taste it. Who are you even going to sell to, you say in desperation? You know the only group with enough credit and balls to defy... to deal in bodies 
whooshing or feel. You can see that you might have gotten his attention with that one. So, a void dragon is still worth something somewhere, even dead. Hell may be more valuable if what they say is true about snow. Your stomach twists with a shot of ice. No one should know about that, you think in horror, especially not someone like him. So, what's your play here, kid? I don't have time for this. There's nothing you can say or do to change my mind. Your boyfriend's mine, so why are we even talking? I... You've got nothing. You're screwed, and Hoshi is fucked. I... Daiki shakes his head and looks at you with what could almost be considered compassion. Look, if I had known Hoshi was more than just a good whore... I would have done this years ago, and the fucker would never have taken out half my crew with his psionic bullshit, but here we are. I'm going to take him apart, piece by piece if I have to, and sell him off to the highest bidder, and there's nothing you can do for him. If I were you, I'd take that nice ship and go somewhere quiet and far away, and just be glad that you don't have to get fucked by Hoshi anymore. He shrugged. Or maybe you're a top. I don't care. I'm not really sure why you're all upset. Hoshi's a good lay, but you're better off without him. Everyone knows the Sunyata are bad down to their non-existent bones. You flush hot and cold and feel your fist tightening as you look down, breaking eye contact from Daiki's combination of pity and contempt. It's not like that. You scrape out from vocal cords gone stiff and dry. Don't do this. Daiki shakes his head and cuts the channel, leaving you alone in the dark. Forty minutes later, Shori has swum up the river, closing the distance between you and Daiki, and you're standing in the cargo bay door waiting for her to stop so you can continue on foot. The storm is still growing strong, and Shori's sensors support it staying that way for a while, meaning you have a shot. I'm so stupid, you think acidly, watching the water stream past and eddy as Shori slows. I'm getting killed. I am so getting killed for that stupid lizard. Why? Why am I even doing this? You settle Zubeda's rifle more comfortably on your shoulder. It's hard to hold it there over your backpack, but you've only read the manual for it, never actually shot it, so it would probably feel uncomfortable even without the backpack. Fuck my life. You check the little GIS beacon that you've programmed with Hoshi's location and flop out into the water, awkwardly dog-paddling the short stretch to the beach, and drag yourself onto land, trying not to feel like a drowned kitten. Pathetic. The jungle is confusing, but your homemade beacon stays steady and true, and much sooner than you thought, you'd crouch, you're crouched behind a tree staring at the mercenary scout ship. It's smaller than you thought, obviously a limited-distance runabout. Something about the design seems familiar. Isn't this a DS674 model, you think, suddenly feeling hopeful for the first time all day? You know that the DS674 was discontinued several years ago for a critical design flaw under atmospheric conditions. A broad grin spreads over your face as you unhook your backpack and draw out the all-terrain servo you'd rigged up. It was about the size of a medium dog when unfolded, its six legs bent backwards, like a cockroach's. 
and its main body was filled with a carry compartment, rudimentary keyboard and screen interface, and a small selection of critical tools that could be used autonomously. It was also wireless enabled. You quickly punch in instructions and drop in two large containers of bleach and ammonia. They were the only chemicals Shori had available in large quantities from her filter washdown and nitrous waste tanks, but they would do. You pat the little robot on the butt as it makes its way towards the intake engine on the side of the runabout. You take a moment to see if there's another way inside or what your next boost should be. Hello. You start hard, catching your breath a little, and realize that there is, in fact, a young woman lying prone next to you with her head pillowed comfortably on her hands, as if watching a vid program. You never heard a sound. Ah. You seem to be having a little trouble speaking. She's dressed in almost rags, shaved head, thick wraps around her wrists and forearms. She cocks her head and blinks at you, waiting. Ah, uh, hello. My friend, um, you try again. My friend was kidnapped by those people. You make a small motion to the ship, and I, I uh, wanted to get him back. She nods as you talk, as if encouraging you. Are they bad people? She asks you. As if you're a little slow. Yes, you say cautiously. You're surprised by your almost instinctive liking and trust for her. No one in your experience has ever, is ever this, has stimulated that response before. There has to be a catch somewhere. Okay, she says, and bounces to a modified crouch of some kind, effortlessly holding her weight on one foot as if poised for flight. Did you send your little robot to do something to their ship? Yes. You draw it out, not sure if you should tell her anything, but wanting to. It's going to flood their environment with toxic gas and cause an explosion in their engines if they start them. Excellent. She says with a big smile and points to your gun. And you're going to shoot them when they run out. Uh, yes, maybe. I'm not really... Good plan. And break. I'll see you in a bit. And the stranger disappears. You didn't even see her move, but somehow she is running, nope, floating, almost effortlessly through the tree canopy before alighting on the mercenary ship like a bird, like a crouched, angry, violent bird, you think, as you watch her leap up, flip elegantly, and drive her foot through the door as a single mercenary opens it. You barely manage to get into a good firing position as your robot finishes dumping the chemicals into the ventilation system and the fight starts in earnest. You settle behind your scope and watch as the woman somersaults her way through the ship. Immediately flinging out bodies that you promptly pick off with laser shots, well assisted by the ACOG sight comfortably mounted on Zubeda's rifle. It's easy to click it into interfacing with your brain implant. 
So easy, in fact, you realize you're enjoying yourself. After each shot, you pick up and move closer to the ship, occasionally taking a knee to fire, recover, and move serpentine through the jungle. Why do people think this is so hard, you wonder, as you lay down another two perfectly placed shots. This is the easiest job ever. Another pop-pop, and you step over a body on your way into the ship. It doesn't even register in your mind that you've just killed humans. The woman surprises you again, waving to you as you walk under her, sitting comfortably on the ship's roof, looking like she'd done nothing more than take a gentle walk through a garden. It's all clear in there, she chimes happily, and looks her she chimes, and looks around at all the bodies. Good shooting. Um, thanks, you say. What a weirdo. You sling the rifle over your shoulder and switch to the pistol as you slip into the ship, searching for Hoshi. It's empty, except for Daiki, slumped next to a console, blood leaking all over the electronics. You pull him up gingerly, expecting it to go wrong, but all he can focus on is taking short, shallow breaths. You glance at his armor and see fist-sized dents compressing it from all directions. Ouch, you think, even more impressed with the woman. Not bad for just her fists. You shake him a little and he lets out a small moan. Hoshi, you say clearly. I want Hoshi. The man gurgles up blood and you're suddenly very bored with this whole episode. You shake him again, but he's not responding. You let out a deep sigh and drop him back into the chair where he slumps down and you fire two shots. Point blank into his skull to put him out of his misery. Something forgotten and cold seems to have taken over your body, but it feels good, calm, makes you feel strong and capable, holding the rifle, standing over a dead man. It's an unusual feeling not to be the victim for once. You decide you rather like it. You survey the ship. Some nice equipment in here, you think. If lizard brain isn't dead, maybe we can even use some of it. Hoshi, you shout. Where are you? You look down and see a shimmer of red on the interface display. Hello, containment field on emergency power. And what are you hiding, I wonder? You deactivate it and immediately the door to what was the storage locker pops open, revealing the same box as before. You cradle it a little to your chest and pop the latches. Hoshi flows out. His color is faint and he looks even more like a ghost dragon than before, and you feel a little twist in your insides. Hoshi, are you okay? No, he says faintly. I feel... But he doesn't finish the sentence and his form degenerates to that heavy smoke texture again. You waft him, waft him back into the box and shut the lid, tucking it into your backpack and head outside again. The strange woman executes a lithe backflip and starts walking next to you as you make your way back to Shori. Is your friend okay? She asks. No, you say curtly. I could help him, maybe. I doubt it. He's a Sunyata, right? You stop, nervous. Sunyata, I don't... She waves, him, waves you off. Oh, you don't have to lie to me. I can sense him. Don't worry, he and I are a kind of kin, I suppose. She strides ahead with her hands behind your back. 
hands that are wrapped in bloody fabric. You swallow a little. I can help you, she calls back. I promise. Well, you don't really know what to say. Besides, you owe me, she says, effortlessly backflipping to face you again. And Birkenthiels always pay their debts, don't they? Your eyes get big and now you feel very, very nervous. You gently place Hoshi on the ground and call your servo to you, folding up its legs and putting it back in your backpack to buy a little time. The woman cranes her head under your face and smiles at you. Come on, Cass, I won't hurt you. I told you, me and Hoshi are kin. Are you reading my mind, you say, a little breathless? Of course, she looks confused. What else would I be doing? Come on, Cass, let's go home. She scoops up your backpack, hands Hoshi to you with a little flourish, and tucks her arm in your elbow as if you two are old friends. You're going to be a wonderful friend. I can't wait to meet you. Um, yeah, okay, I guess, you stammer as you head towards Shori. What could possibly go wrong? 